0: Welcome to the Sports Call,
1: Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm and the Tiger Communications. Happy Thursday to everyone. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Brant Dontry with you here on this Thursday afternoon. Another beautiful, hot, sunny summer day. The summer months are rolling on, though. We're getting closer to college football. We will have a lot of college football discussion once again on the Thursday show for you today. A little bit later, we're going to go through Big 12 win totals. All 14 teams in the Big 12 uh, as uh, we will have that one year of Texas and Oklahoma still being in the conference with all the new additions. So we'll go through Big 12 win totals a little bit later as we've been doing with all the conferences, Power 5 conferences. We will have Big 12 news for you today too involving the Colorado Buffaloes. We talked a little bit about it. We will talk about what it means for the Pac-12, what it means for the Big 12, More Pac-12 ranting sessions in store, I I am sure. Uh, Also got to tell you about an Auburn player no longer with the program as of about an hour ago. So we'll discuss that briefly too. Of course, all your phone calls on the Auburn Bank phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. And then get of course, uh, Birthdays and Sports Nightly TV Guide, as always. And we'll reveal this week's Sports Call Player of the Week a little bit later as well. Ryan, Brant, and Brooks with you here on this Thursday. We'll start with you, Brant. How has your day been so far?
2: My day's been good. I finally got a full eight hours of sleep last night. First time since since, uh, SEC media days. So uh, glad to have that under my belt. And yeah, excited to look over the Big 12 a little bit. I'll be totally honest, I looked over these win totals and I was like, man, the Big 12 is such a blind spot. And I thought, maybe everything outside of the SEC is a blind spot for me. But I'm excited to go through this and kind of break down rosters as, uh, from kind of a point of view of not really knowing what I'm talking about and kind of trying to learn on the fly. I think that'll be fun. Um, and yeah, it, it, Texas and Oklahoma and their last years, how good can they be? Uh, the news about Colorado and everything that's going on. And, and obviously a player leaving the program. Is, there's a lot to talk about today.
1: Absolutely. Brooks Childress also on the show. Final time this week uh, for Brooks is uh, going to have a nice little long weekend there. How are you this afternoon?
3: I am great. It is a great Thursday here on the Plains. Uh, it, we watched a little uh, World Cup soccer action last night on the women's side of things. U.S. and the Netherlands was a fun match uh, got the U.S. got the draw 1-1, and that one big match coming up here next Tuesday against Portugal to see uh, who wins the the group and goes. Or both both teams probably at this point in a, in in a good position to go through, and both teams being the Netherlands and the U.S. But it just depends on uh, results this week uh, this coming week on. How, how they actually get through and what what position they get through in so that that's fun uh really love watching uh, the women's world cup and uh soccer in general so watched that last night took that in so that was fun and now i'm here at work all day and uh, can't wait to talk to all of our callers and uh, dive into some college football talk because not just the big 12 win totals we're talking about today there's a lot of college football news less than a month from the kickoff of the season
1: absolutely and also before we deep dive into college football man i keep seeing these Uh, horrible NFL injuries out of camp and another big one just happened Uh, so earlier today Jalen Ramsey was carted off and that was after uh, CJ Gardner Johnson was carted off a few days ago did you guys see who was carted off I have not Joe Burrow was carted off with a uh, with some sort of lower leg or or foot injury he looked to be hopping so I'm hoping that it was not some sort of ACL or something like that. That was maybe a foot ailment. Mm. Of course, we are still more than a month away from the regular season, starting a few weeks from the preseason. Mm-hmm. Hall of Fame game is seven days from today, and then uh, the full preseason slate begins the next weekend. It's about 14, 15 days till everyone gets going for the first time. But, uh, yeah, Joe Burrow was just carted off uh, Bengals practice. And so uh, I was not intending to do a long uh, – do a full segment on – all these carted off injuries in the NFL but uh it is always a, a buzzkill to have guys injured before even taking a, a snap for the season and uh that has now meandered toward the quarterback world hopefully Burrow is uh is not seriously injured but again uh yeah three or four very relevant players uh increasingly relevant honestly by the by, by the card off uh in the NFL and I don't even know how you prevent stuff like this. It's just, it's a part of it, but uh, again, it doesn't make it any less disappointing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, they're they're not even out there in pads yet. They're just, they're helmets and t-shirts at the moment. Uh, and there's really not, not a whole lot of preventing this. I mean, uh, most of it is soft tissue injury, you know, and I don't care how big and strong and, and tough you are. If one of those goes, then it's gone. You know, there's no amount of, squats you can do to protect your acl for example it's just a matter of flexibility and making sure you warm up properly and this is the nfl we're talking about i'm sure that these guys stretch before they go out there and work but uh it's injuries suck man it's the worst thing about sports and i think everybody kind of universally agrees with that but there's very little to be done as far as protecting them more than they are at the at this moment
1: yeah hopefully burrows is just an ankle or or something that is not as serious. It's maybe the cart's more preventative. But, again, you hear getting carted off, and uh, that's certainly not good. So a number of guys now, including Joe Burrow, having to be carted off in the first couple of days of NFL training camp as we get uh, mere days away from the first preseason game and uh, just weeks away from the regular season start. I want to go ahead and also talk a little bit before we go to our first time out of uh, the show about uh, the – Auburn roster news. Again, late in the process for this. We're still gathering details, but uh, Auburn safety Caden Bridges is no longer with the Auburn football team. Bridges last season, a part of 19 tackles and one fumble recovery. Uh, The sophomore out of McGee, Mississippi, I I think would have figured into the rotation this year, although not a starter, but uh, would have at least played some. Guys, again, we're still gathering details. The way people are wording it may see that it's on Auburn's side of things, the, more of a dismissal than a transfer. But, again, I, I, there's no real clear indication on if it is a dismissal or a transfer, uh, that sort of thing. We know that, that this close to the season, again, uh, about a month away from uh, kickoff of the college football season, just days away from from fall practice, uh is a very abnormal time for someone to transfer a uh, transfer excuse me uh but uh Caden Bridges no longer with the Auburn football team
3: yeah and our uh our friend over at 247 sports Nathan King pointing out that Auburn still has nine scholarship safeties on the roster and so it, it's it's not as if they don't have depth at this raw ro- at this spot on the roster but yeah it is kind of uh, kind of weird kind of you know it, it does feel like a uh a dismissal kind of thing and you know obviously we don't have all the facts right now we don't know everything that that's going on but uh you know this close to fall camp uh, getting started, I think next week is is when fall camp actually gets started, uh, and you really haven't gone through much practices. It does it does seem late in the process if this is in fact a transfer where you you just all of a sudden made up your mind here a, a month before the season starts. No, you know what this now I want to leave. So it it, it feels like. Either something happened that, that at Auburn decided they you know he needed to be dismissed, or something happened that he he just decided well this really isn't the place for me. Obviously, again we don't know all the facts everything, but at, on the football side of things, when you look at Auburn's roster, uh, it, it's a it's a loss like you said a guy that figured to be well, worked into the rotation, but still nine scholarship safeties on the roster. It's not like you're losing uh a, a, it's not it's it's not a position that you you lose him and there's not a lot of depth. at that that position
2: yeah absolutely like you said he was one of 10 scholarship safeties on this roster so I I don't think Auburn's going to be hurting at that safety spot but you're you're right that the timing is weird Um, if he had transferred during spring ball I would have absolutely believed that it was just hey it's a depth thing this is a kid that came in and the new coaching staff got here and they brought in I think three or four extra safeties in addition to the guys that were already there Uh, and it's not like Auburn's safety room is lacking not just for depth, but for quality. There, You've got some really good players in that secondary room, and, and Caden Bridges, if you told me he was just the odd man out, I would believe you, but also this is a weird time to realize that you're the odd man out. So, Like you guys said, we don't know all the details. We, we don't know that something happened, but it kind of feels like something did.
1: Yeah, we'd project that someone like Jalen Simpson, Dovin Kaufman would be ahead of him in those safety roles, uh, potentially Zion Puckett. Uh, as well so third fourth safety somewhere in there for Caden Bridges and less and look we don't know how airtight some of those battle battles were maybe there's an opportunity to go up to the number two safety or that sort of thing Uh, overall in the depth chart kind of playing interchangeably and that sort of thing got to got to get the new new style uh, from Ron Roberts the new defensive scheme and and all that so again we we would see how all that would shake out but Uh, Bridges, someone did play a little bit last year for sure, and so as a young guy you would figure that his opportunity to play would still be there in some regard this year. So in a little bit surprising, I I do not see how, I I do not believe he would be eligible to play uh, this this fall for anybody. So uh, if he were transferring at the FBS level, he'd have to sit out this year because, again, we're a month from the season. The portal closed months ago for – undergrad guys of which he surely is so uh, again Caden Bridges no longer uh, with the team Uh, you already go to the page online that's a good good old 404 not found Uh, and so uh, Bridges is off the team whether that's dismissal or a choice of his own uh, we will let you know when we find that out but as of now just the details are that he is no longer uh, with the Auburn football program we're going to take our first time out of the show back with more sports call right after this (music)
0: We need a time out. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. Follow Sports Call on Twitter at SportsCallAU. Like us on Facebook at SportsCallAU.
1: Going back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Brant Dontry with you here on this Thursday afternoon. 334-887-3401 locally or toll free one 1-888-9-TIGER-9 are the numbers to call us on the Auburn Bank phone line today. We go to the Auburn Bank phone line for the first time today. Ward Damn Steve. retire. Ward Steve is with us. Steve, how are you this afternoon?
4: I'm doing great, guys, and may I begin the show with saying, War down Mr. Marcus Riddick, and from day one, he says, I always wanted to be a Tiger.
1: Yeah, obviously big-time news yesterday, and uh, again, he obviously had committed to Georgia originally, but Auburn gets the flip there, and uh, again, big-time number one guy that Auburn's gotten in the class so far, five-star guy, and that alone moved them up from 20 to 16 in the team rankings.
4: Yeah, I'd say a big shazam there. However... I want to bring something to your attention. You know, I'm a subscriber to 247 Sports, but I was reading one of the bloggers who uh, had all these facts, and they said that uh, even though Mr. Riddick is a composite uh, five-star uh, rated and uh, ranked uh, recruit, 247 has him as a four-star. I said, "Are you serious?" And they they went down the list of all the other people that, uh, fortunately, somehow 247 uh, has a lower star ranking. Than on three or other arrivals has, and I don't know what to make of that, guys. Uh, but were you aware of uh, this? I guess composite ranking that differs, with, especially for with Riddick, the two forty-seven has him as a four-star.
1: Right. No, actually, all of them have him as a as a really high four-star. It's just when you factor in all the other players and you add up everyone's ranking. Uh, compared to how the, all the sites have it, and then he rates out as the number one thirty-one, uh, as the number thirty-one player, and uh, he is just barely a five star when you add it all up. Despite yeah, all all of them in their individual evaluations have him as a as a high four star, but he's so so closely ranked in all of them that he actually passes a lot of people once you start to average out everyone's ranking of of all the other players.
4: Okay, well thanks for that education. However. You know, if he barely makes it a five-star, you know, I also saw that he is the number three-ranked recruit in the state of Georgia. Uh, so who's number one and two, guys? Do you know?
1: Uh, I can uh, I can figure it out real quick. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, again, number 31 player overall. So you're going to have, a, a like you said, I guess a couple players um, from that state that could be a little bit higher. Yeah. Um, Got to check real quickly what the composite says. So one of them is Dylan Riola. I think that's how you pronounce that from Buford, Georgia. He's the number two player in the class. Uh, he is a the number one quarterback in the class, and he is he- headed to Georgia. And then the other one is also from Buford, uh, KJ Bolden, who is somebody that Auburn is targeting, but does not have appear to be a front runner for. Uh, he's deciding between like Georgia, Florida State, Ohio State, Alabama, and Auburn.
4: Okay, well, appreciate information. Yep. But you know what was more disappointing, uh, and I guess confirming how not we ever even hired him, is that he wasn't even contacted or approached by any of Harson's staff uh, when they were, you know, uh, uh, you know, in, in charge of recruiting. And I find that just incredulous, guys.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, again, they obviously made a poor decision uh with with Harson and of course hindsight's 2020 I'm sure if they knew that he was going to put put in this lack of uh, recruiting effort then they would have never done it uh but he he sold them on uh, his credentials and again that's why Alan Green's not here anymore and then obviously Harson had a very short leash and again that's that was that
4: all right we'll move on to more uh positive uh news on our front you know big cat week is coming off uh, this Saturday, right? Uh, yes, sir. Well, from all the uh, comments from Christian Clemente, Nathan King, Jason Caldwell, these are the people that uh, we have maybe a very, very likelihood, high likelihood of them committing. Uh, one would be a flip. Mr. Perry Thompson from Foley, Alabama, down our way, right, Mr. Bruce? Uh, Mr. Bruce Childress? That's right. Uh, five-star recruit, okay? Uh, he's going to be there. And apparently, uh, that was competing with another other than Alabama's uh, weekend shenanigans uh, this weekend. Also, a four-show athlete by the name of Malcolm Simmons from Benjamin Russell. Uh, he may be a commit. And Mr. Reese Baker from Madison Academy, another person that they say. And also, Mr. DeAndre Carter is going to be here all the way from California. So we've got some... Uh, possible uh, even better news uh know has good news uh this coming weekend so just wanted to bring those names up uh, to you guys and i heard about the safety i just read about that uh now the only uneasiness i have about this guys and please tell me steve no worries is there any possible connection with Jaquest hunter and that episode is he connected to any of this
1: I uh, really don't know. I mean, I I can't. I I don't have any information. The the beat reporters uh, have have just left it very vanilla. At he's no longer with the team. Uh, tried to discern from the wording of it if it was more Auburn side or his side. I, I even that I'm I'm unsure of. Although I'm I'm trying to put two and two together, and I'm trying to think that it's probably on Auburn side. But again, I. Uh, there. I, I can't tell you. I can't tell you one way or the other. I, I, I really don't have the information right now.
4: All right. Well, I'm hoping it has nothing to do with Jaquez Hunter and what happened there. Sure. And we've yet, I have yet to find anything. Uh, I mean, I haven't heard anything about his status. You guys heard anything at all?
1: Yeah, no, he Freeze was asked about it at Media Days last week, and he said he can't comment on uh, university investigation. So I think this is above even uh, the football team. I think it's a university deal as well so it's got to uh be resolved by them first
4: okay so it'll have to be resolved by what camp or by the first game of the season
1: yeah i mean i i mean i don't think the university has a a hard deadline i'm sure that there's going to be pressure uh, for the football program to get it done as soon as possible so that he can uh, participate in practice in the games and that sort of thing but uh, I don't I don't know if there is a hard deadline. I would still think that it would be done in the month of August and sometime in the first half, first first two quarters of August, but uh, or first two thirds of August, excuse me, but uh, really, there's no concrete timetable.
4: Well, guys, one more about your question. If he's you know reported practicing with the team, does that mean that everything is okay then?
1: That's a good question. I mean, I would I would think that would be a good sign. I wouldn't rule. Everything out just yet, but I think if he's practicing, they're comfortable on some level with him doing so. So I would think that maybe the worst is not going to happen. He's not going to be kicked off the team or kicked out of school or anything like that. So I think that would be a good sign. It certainly would be a bad thing. I don't know if we would close the book on it just yet, though.
4: All right, moving on to soccer last night, guys. Uh, you know, it was, it was a one to one tie, and I heard the, the pundits, uh, soccer pundits, after the game saying that even though It was one one tie. What's more important, they said, to get out of the group in advance is not only do they need to win uh, over, is it Portugal that we play? Yes. Yes. But even uh, even that's not enough. They said uh, they go by the number of points, and right now we um, have four points. So we have to outscore or get more points than does the Netherlands. Uh, Am I correct in understanding that?
1: Yeah, for goal differential's sake, they need to – Make sure that they maintain a positive, a better goal differential than the Netherlands. And right now, they do have that because the Netherlands only won by one goal in their first match. The U.S. won by three. So as long as they win by, uh, don't try to. I don't want to complicate this, but as long as they win by the same amount or just by one less goal than the Netherlands, then they would they would still win the group.
4: All right, and then this. Then I'm going around the world here uh, in few. Kuoka, Japan. This Kata Ledecky, do you know what she did yesterday? I guess it was yesterday.
1: Uh, I'm not sure.
4: No, Tuesday night, Tuesday night. At the 2023 World Aquatics Championships, she did something that's not been done. She collected a total of six medals, two gold, one silver, three bronze, but then she did something else. She said Ledecky's win uh, marks her 20th World Championship gold medal the first woman ever to accomplish this feat. And it was also her fifth career world title in the event, and she becomes the first swimmer ever, male or female, to win five world titles in two different events. And she also tied none other than who? Mr. Swimmer himself, Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps for the most individual world swimming titles, 15. Uh, Wow, she... uh, she is one heck of an athlete and one heck of a swimmer. Absolutely. Uh, no
1: doubt. Yeah, no, she's impressive, but definitely going to go down as an all-time great.
4: And I think she's, what, 24, 25?
1: Yeah, she's not She's not at the end of her career. She's right in her prime.
4: Okay. So we did with that. And then I get this from Legion Report today, you guys. Is the Pac-12 screwed? That's the title of their, uh, their headline that I got. I said, okay. Of course, you guys mentioned it. Colorado is leaving the Pac-12, and... They've yet to have any kind of a contract uh, for their games. Is that right? With through ESPN? Yeah, that's the something.
1: Pac-12? Yeah, that's something we've talked a, a lot about on the show over the last, I don't know, month or two. I mean, we we've spent a lot of time on them not having a TV deal and how potentially detrimental to their conference that was. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it. If I was talking to the Pac-12 right now, I'd say I hate to told I hate to tell you I told you so. But, I mean, we have we have covered this extensively, and it was pretty obvious to us that the longer they wait, the more waiting and waiting, the more people are going to get antsy. I mean, there's tens of millions of dollars per year at stake. And so Colorado uh, found after the last decade or so that the grass wasn't always greener on the other side, and so they're going back to the Big 12.
4: So uh, we may eventually come to a Pack 8
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean – they're, they're they're gonna have to fight off though and again we'll, we'll deep dive later but they're gonna have to fight off other conferences for other programs they're gonna have to fight off uh, the psyche of some of their bigger programs um, and that, that, like they're they're going to have to guard against really everything at this point because they still don't have the TV deal they don't have any financial security. All these programs are figuring out well well if they're leaving why shouldn't we leave? Because there's better programs in Colorado in that conference still, and so you can try and market yourself around Oregon and Washington. But if if, if at any moment Oregon and Washington reach out to the Big Ten or vice versa, Pac-12 conference as we know it is in complete shambles. So they, right. uh, they they are they are in trouble. They're absolutely in trouble.
4: All right. Well, speaking with college football. Uh, I finally guys made the time to listen to your podcast about your over and unders. Uh, they were entertaining, educational. Uh, and I heard your explanations, uh, and I've listened to Phil Steele. And, by the way, he is not the best predictor like I thought at one time he was. There are some other, uh, not Hart uh, copy magazine publications like Phil Steele, though, but there's some other websites that actually, from independent sources I, I was reading, uh, have done better predictions uh, for the, the playoff teams. But I was really, uh, uh, I guess, uh, struck by his comment that he loves Texas A&M. Uh, to the point that he puts him up there with Alabama, uh, did I uh, misunderstand that?
1: Yeah, no, he thinks they're much closer to the Alabama LSU level than on the uh, the, the rest of the league, and and definitely would take him over seven and a half.
4: Wow! Uh, and then I was struck by his comments about picking, but he said maybe it's a toss-up, uh, Ashford over uh, Thorne. So I wanted to uh, get your thoughts, guys. What do you think? Is um, maybe what kind of information do you think? Uh, Vegas insider people because they don't have a dog in the they could care less that would lead them to have Ashford favored. Uh, I, I didn't hear you guys say how much they're favored of uh, the odds are over uh, Thorne being the starter. Yeah, I think they know.
1: And those odds have flipped by the way since uh, since those opened they're now in Peyton Thorne's favor. And and I think when we were talked to Phil because that's something that obviously we noticed way back even in June when the magazine was being rolled out or about to be rolled out that uh, people were noticing that Ashford was projected as starter. So we did ask him about that, obviously, and he kind of backtracked it a little bit. I mean, he said it was more 50-50 and he had to pick one at the time and, and that sort of thing. So I really, I got the inkling that maybe he's not even convinced anymore uh, that it's going to be Ashford. And so I, I just think that people were thinking about the Malik Willis uh, aspect of it I think they were thinking wow you know uh, Hugh Free singled out as we all have that great throw in the Iron Bowl that Robbie Ashford had and, and that sort of thing and uh, you know because even the experience part we've, we've kind of denounced that on the show the experience isn't really as relevant when there's a whole new system and a whole new coach, coaching staff to learn. So I mean, ev- everything's new to everybody. So I, I, I think that it's still Peyton Thorns to lose. I, again, I think they value what Ashford brings. I think they value his athleticism, his running ability, and so there might be again some packages for him. They might try the two quarterback stuff a little bit, uh, but to what degree I don't know. But I still think Peyton Thorne will be the the will be the starting quarterback.
4: And Thorne only has one year left eligibility?
1: No, he's got two. That was uh, one two. of the one of the better things about him versus a couple of the portal guys is that Thorne does have two years of eligibility left.
4: Okay. Uh, sticking with Auburn, I was hoping to hear Phil Steele, and I don't know, maybe I didn't recall correctly, but I don't think I heard him uh, say total uh, wins uh, for Auburn, or did he?
1: I don't think so. I think that Phil, Phil looks at a lot of things more optimistically. So, I mean, he was still – talking up auburn even despite talking up a lot of the other sec teams too but i never heard him give a win total
4: yeah i know he likes Ole miss
1: yeah uh i mean he well he i mean he had some questions there too uh again i again i think that's more of the the positive i think he did pick them fourth and uh that's again the media all picked these teams three four in that area so uh i think i think as a and m did end up being third in the media poll right and Ole miss fourth is that what ended up happening just narrowly I think.
2: Yeah, I think I so. cannot remember, uh, honestly.
1: So I, but, yeah, no, that was still kind of in line with what the media was going with.
4: Are you guys that impressed uh, with uh, Phil Steele's uh, love fest with a uh, and Because he said they jumped from his rankings of uh, experience of 124, I think, wasn't it, to number 14?
1: something like that yeah no I look I don't necessarily agree with him but we don't always have to agree to give compelling arguments and I think that no, the I agree. sure and I, and I think that the argument he gave was at least very reasonable because if you are one of the more experienced teams in college football given that okay those those hot shot freshmen that they did stay, Okay, well, now they're sophomores, and we know in football that freshmen can't – they're hit or miss on making that big impact right away. Some of the absolute studs do. Some guys are just not quite ready for the first year. Uh, and so the experience bit of, of being a top 20 team and experience coming back for this year, like in this age where everything's changing all the time, like that, that is interesting. That is something that, that could end up working for their favor. They did have to rotate a bunch of quarterbacks last year because of injury. Hopefully they've, from their point of view, they've worked with one this off season, this fall and, and can, can settle in on one and try to develop just one instead of having to get everybody ready all the time. Anaya Smith, their top receiver, was injured. So again, I, I see where he's going with that. I still think that that there's just so much turmoil there, so much doubt, so much outside noise. It's going to be too much to overcome. But again, I think he put together a reasonable argument for why they would go over. And also, to be fair, I think only one time since Fisher's been there have they been worse than than eight win team, and that was last year. So again, I, I I can see what he's talking about.
4: Well, I heard his comment where he said, you know, experience for him, he he must put a lot of weight on that. And I've given some thought about that, guys. And that is, you know, I've seen teams with. Uh, experiences that have been bad and bad habits that continued in the following season. So I'm not always that, uh, I guess, impressed with merely experience of being that heavily weighted, as apparently he does, uh, because we've had uh, Auburn teams that had experience uh, it was bad, bad news the following season, even though uh, some of the same players were there, because they had, you know, sort of like the old uh, saying, you know, uh, practice makes perfect always tell people well, what kind of practice yeah if you practice bad habits yeah they'll get even worse uh that was my angle that's why i'm saying you know well how's he so convinced the a&m is going to be that much better just because the experience and being is i guess heavily weighted fact. that's why i was going sure. on sure and know?
1: i think the hope there because i i do agree with you that sometimes the the guys don't end up getting as better as you want them to and then, it, then it's just like, oh, well, you got a fourth year guy that just ended up being okay and, and never really made big steps. I think the difference for AM is that, along with those guys being a lot of highly rated guys, they're all just sophomores and juniors this year. Like I'm going through their starter projected starters on here sophomore, sophomore, junior, sophomore, 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 junior, redshirt freshman, freshman, junior, sophomore. <laughs> so, uh, and then they have a couple seniors on defense. So these guys, in other words, you're more hopeful because they're younger, that they're not finished products yet, that they've not hit their ceiling. And so you combine their high rating with the fact that they were incredibly young last year, then you're more hopeful that there will be a real development process there.
4: Yeah, and apparently he's also uh, impressed with their quarterback. And who was the other quarterback he really liked a lot too? It wasn't Beck, someone else. A wit? Uh
1: Connor Wigman is the uh, going to be the, yeah. the A&M quarterback. He was – He was one of those guys that they intended to play and and got hurt, only played four or five games last year, had eight TDs, no interceptions, but only was 55% passer.
4: I was glad to hear that you did at least have a caveat about Thorne. Even though Thorne did not have a great season last year, the supporting cast, I think he said, uh, didn't help him either, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, Michigan State obviously had a lot more go wrong than just Thorne playing – a little less efficiently last year. I think that, obviously, that was team-wide. Their team was uh, a vastly different team last year than it was two years ago.
4: Hi, guys. Thank you for your time, as always, uh, that you allow me. Uh, I look forward to the rest of the uh, afternoon listening to the podcast. And, you know, I don't know how much effort and work it takes to even do a podcast. That would I'd love to hear that sometimes, you know, how much work uh, that, that that requires, uh, labor-intensive it is. Uh, I wouldn't even know where to start. But I'd because uh, you guys do an excellent job. I enjoy listening to them. And uh, thank you again uh, for the uh, entertainment that you provide us and the educational information. So with that said, guys, my time is way up. Thank you for your time. And uh, you'll have a relaxing afternoon. And War Eagle until tomorrow.
1: War Eagle, Steve, appreciate your phone call, sir. Have a great day. That is Retire War Steve joining us on the Auburn Bank phone line. Uh, again, he's uh, right. If you always miss anything, check it out on the Sports Call podcast. Resume by Coca Cola, we we have everyone kind of rotate through uh, getting that up for us, and certainly appreciate that work uh, after each and every show. We're going to go to our next timeout of the show. Back with more Sports Call right after this.
0: Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player and national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
1: Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Daughtry, Brooks Childress with you here. On this Thursday afternoon, the conversations that we have off the air, they certainly exist. <laughs> I don't know if the aliens do, but the conversations we have off air certainly do. All right, before we go any further today and talk some more, more of these great football topics, let's get to today's birthdays and sports. It's time for today's birthdays in sports. Birthdays in sports today starts with Alex Rodriguez, who turns 48. Former shortstop and third baseman A. Rod considered to be one of the best players of all time, hitting 696 home runs and over 2,000 RBIs. Also had over 3,000 career hits. A-Rod is a 14-time All-Star, 3-time AL MVP, 2-time Gold Glove Award winner, 10-time Silver Slug Award winner, World Series champion 2009, 2-time steroid user out of ba- outside of baseball. He's part owner in the, of the Minnesota Timberwolves. I joke, uh, I do love A-Rod. I know that he absolutely cheated, but that was one of my favorite players growing up. Oh, well. Alex Rodriguez <laughs> turns 48 today. Go A-Rod. Uh, Max Scherzer turns 39, a current pitcher for the New York Mets. Scherzer is one of the best pitchers of the past decade. Eight-time All-Star. Scherzer started his career with the Arizona Diamondbacks before being traded to the Detroit Tigers. Three-time Cy Young Award winner. Two-time MLB All-First Teamer. Four-time wins leader, and he pitched two no-hitters in the 2015 season alone. Tied the most strikeouts in the game with 20, and is tied for the most immaculate innings pitched with three, one of the best pitchers of this generation, Max Scherzer turns 29 today. Went to did
3: Missouri, he did he really? Yeah, go Tigers.
1: Huh. I'm uh, sorry that was not in the notes, but yeah. uh, Mizzou Tiger,
3: You're Big 12 Tiger though. Just don't don't. Big 12, he's not yeah. an SEC Tiger. So if he gets Big in the 12.
1: Hall, we can't quite claim him as another SEC Hall
3: of Famer. Uh, we'll Freshman. do it anyway. Do it anyway. We'll do oh. it who's anyway.
2: who's we? The Southeastern Conference. We? All right, Okay. Fair. Yeah. Not, I, don't, I don't know. That's Brent, you got
3: I fed was, enough last uh, the week that wee you're now like a of, that's, Yeah,
2: That's true. I, we did have this discussion at SEC Media Days. Like I I pay attention to the SEC because I'm an Auburn fan, but like I, I'm not a, I am not don't consider myself a fan of the SEC. That being said, we were treated very well by the SEC. And I'm, I kind of like Greg saying... If you
1: were a fan of one conference, would it be the SEC?
2: I, I think it would have to be. Sure.
3: Are you, you a Sunbelt guy, secretly?
2: I do love the Sunbelt. Oh, yeah. Hashtag yeah, I Fun do love Belt. the Sunbelt, yeah.
1: Should we... Should we do a useless segment on the show where we rank our favorite conferences?
2: Yes, starting yeah, with, I mean that's one. peak off-season content. <laughs> we I might,
1: mean. we might do that. We might do that. Maybe not today though. Ryan Tannehill turns thirty-five. Current quarterback for the Tennessee Titans. No Power Five. Tannehill was drafted eighth overall out of Texas A&M Gig in the two thousand and eleven draft. Also notably not at that time in the SEC by the Miami Dolphins. Tannehill was successful in Miami before being traded to Tennessee, where he would have his best years. He won the NFL Comeback Player of the Year in 2019, Pro Bowler in 2019. His career touchdown and interception rate is 212 TDs to 108 picks, throwing over 33,000 passing yards and over 2,000 rushing yards. Ryan Tannehill, one last shot at it, I guess, with Tennessee this year. He turns 35, and Darius Leonard turns 28, current linebacker of the Indianapolis Colts, selected in the second round of the 2018 draft by the Colts. Played his college career at South Carolina State. Oh, wow. Go uh, Aggies. Where he was a two-time MEAC Defensive Player of the Year. Leonard has had a successful career so far, winning Defensive Rookie of the Year. Alongside being a three-time first-team All-Pro and being a three-time Pro Bowler, he has 549
3: career tackles thus far. I would like to issue a rate action. It's the Bulldogs. South Carolina State Bulldogs, not Aggies. Ah.
2: He's a very good player on a very bad team and kind of has been since he got there. But yeah. I really like Darius Leonard.
1: Well, yeah, the Colts took a nosedive last year, sure. They were they were fighting for those wild cards before then, but yeah, uh, yeah uh, not not the best last year, obviously, and thus, that's why they had a position to take a quarterback in Anthony Richardson. Alex Rodriguez, 48, Max Scherzer, 39, Ryan Tannehill, 35, Darius Leonard, 28. Those aren't the birthdays in sports today. A few minutes left in this hour. Not quite time to deep dive into anything uh, big just yet. We'll spend a few minutes, uh, get in a little little Braves chatter before we uh, uh, have Player of the Week in, in hour number two, which, again, wink, wink, hint, hint, Braves, Player of the Week. There you go.
3: Headline uh, for the Braves, they're not getting Shohei Ohtani.
1: Uh, Yes, and, and maybe that's what I want to hit on here, too. Yet. Is we were just talking yesterday about um, the MLB trade deadline and if – um, the, you know the, I guess we were talking Tuesday, I should say, about Braves adding some relievers and if they should do anything else, that sort of thing. We talked about the Otani destinations a little bit, and I was of the opinion that there's not too many teams it makes sense for right now. You're trying to find a team that's willing to, to shoot their shot one singular time. Not knowing about the future, not caring, not having a team set up for the future, and that sort of thing. I landed on the Brewers as the best team for that. Well, uh, then about 24 hours later, the Angels decided they're going to shoot their shot, and this Boy, is going they. to be their last last hurrah. And they're not going to trade Shohei Otani. They're going to keep him, and then they immediately made a trade for Lucas Giolito, who is going to be a better starter than what the Angels have. Now for them, and uh, I think they're also in talks to acquire Heimer Candelario from the Washington Nationals. So Angels basically deciding to, to go for it, whatever that means. Uh, they are they they've they've been a little better since the All Star break. That has helped them. That has helped them make this decision. They had dropped around the All Star break to five hundred. And they were in really serious danger of just having it all go south. But they're 8-2 and two in their last 10. So that they are back to 53-49. and 6.5 behind Texas. That's catchable. I'm not convinced Texas is just going to light the world on fire for the final 60 games of the year. Houston is 2 behind Texas, therefore 4.5 ahead of the Angels. I'm convinced that the Astros still maybe have some better baseball in them. So looking at wild-card standings, Angels 3.5 out of that second wild-card spot. Uh, and that is held by uh, the Astros. I should say 4.5 back of that second wild-card spot. And, and so, I don't know, guys. Do you like that the Angels are going for this? Should they have traded him?
3: Um, No, go ahead.
2: It's so weird to me because I feel like even if the Angels do get that wild-card spot, and I think they're in a position where maybe they can. Uh, they just need to play well the rest of the way. They're not a team that can make it to the World Series, and I don't think they're going to be a team that can make it to the World Series anytime soon. I, I, if I'm Shohei Otani, I'm sitting here looking at these moves and going, okay, great, we can make the first round. You know, I, I don't think they're going to make it out of that unless you know everybody just gets hot at the right time, but I, the, the Angels aren't going to be a World Series competitor this year, even if they do make it to the postseason, so I would have tried to trade Otani, but maybe they're saying, hey, we can convince this guy that we are trying to win and lock him down for the future and then just get him to go, okay, I'm cool being here for more lean years. I don't know. It's it's a very weird situation. It's a very weird sell that they're trying to make because I think he wants to go to a team that can win right now, and they're trying to get him to stay by saying, hey, by convincing him that they're trying to win later.
3: I think that you, you, if you're the Angels, I'm sure you looked around, and you, you're because you, you you're not 100% convinced you can convince Shohei to re-sign with you, so you you looked around and maybe the the folks that you know inquired were not gonna give you close not not necessarily maybe not close but like not what you wanted because there's like you were like you said right there's not a lot of teams out there that uh that would do this unless they were convinced that they could make sure that Otani was going to re-sign with them or it was a we're just going all in right here this year this is our year you know we ball this year um it we so ball. i think that it's a it's a fine move by the by the Angels because you're you know if if you've got the best player in baseball and you've got a, a guy that literally today threw a complete game in the first game of a doubleheader and now is hitting bombs in the second game of the doubleheader um it, he is it's it's a guy you want to try to at least convince to stay around. And so I think that's what this move is, is you said we're going to keep him, We're going to make some moves. We're going to try to show him that we're trying to win now and maybe convince him in the off season. You know, once you get to the offseason that we're we're ready to compete. We're here to compete. And I, I think that's probably what this this move is more about is to make the postseason and show show hey that you are willing to go out and try to win now and not just sit around and be like, oh, we got the best player in baseball. That's what's going to drive our ticket sales, not us winning. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm, I'm fine with the move. Uh, it's it's going to cause a lot more interesting moves, I think, because I think a lot more teams that could have been eyeing Shohei We'll make some more, you know, not massive moves, but there's going to be some more interesting moves made at the trade deadline to try to get pieces that can get you to the postseason or get you deep in the postseason. Um, but yeah, A- Angels, it feels like they're they're trying they're, they're with this move they're trying to convince Shohei that sure. we can oh, yeah. win here.
1: No, that's absolutely what it's about. If. They feel if they can make the playoffs in any capacity, that might be enough to, to change the opinion for Otani. Otani clearly wants to win. He's going to get as large of a contract or larger than we've ever seen. All those things will come. The Angels play here. I've gone back and forth because two weeks ago I thought they should have traded him because that is the point in which they were below five hundred and just just treading water. Trout had just gotten hurt. They were again. They dropped to below 500 for the first time in a long time this year. Just playing awful. But this is why these GMs wait till the very last moment because again, that eight and two stretch here to get it back to four over 500 to get it back to four four and a half out of a playoff spot. That's the difference. If if you think about it this way, if they were four and six instead of eight and two, then they would still be below 500. And they'd be eight and a half out. What's your argument till you think you can make the playoffs with what you're gonna, you gonna go go get? Uh, you're gonna get Scherzer. You're gonna go get all the Mets players that have failed them. What, what what do you get? What move you make to make up eight and a half games in sixty? Uh, with reasonably speaking, with Trout already injured for you and injured for the next several weeks. So at that moment, two weeks ago, I was out on him, but as they've, they've kind of returned back to, to form and gotten back in this, that's back when it becomes, yeah, it's a no-brainer. You, keep, you try to keep the generational player. You know, you only you only sell that if you just have no no hope, and it was trending that direction for them. These moves they're making are clearly win now moves. Lucas Jolito is a guy that's been in the big league six or seven years, pot, winning record, ERAs in the threes most years. He's a solid big league pitcher pitching for a White Sox team that's going absolutely nowhere. When you look at other moves the Angels made earlier in this process, you know they acquired Eduardo Escobar from the struggling Mets. They acquired Mike Moustakis uh, from, I believe, the Reds at that time, uh, or or wherever Brewers, Reds. What what are the NL Central teams? And so they have been trying to do this all year long. They're just going harder and harder towards it as their direction became clear. And the thing is, is like you said, Brooks. They, I'm sure they went to market. I'm sure they sniffed around. But as I said Tuesday, I promise you, if they were talking to someone like the Braves... Their conversation was not, all right, Braves, here's all your top prospects. Their conversation is, what about Otani for Acuna straight up? Or what about Otani for Albies and Strider? I mean, they they weren't going to just be like, yeah, yeah, let's just take the 20-year-olds and see if Trout's still alive when when these guys make it to the big leagues. No, I mean, they were going to try to make it where they still stay competitive or else they'll be saying goodbye to Trout this time next year have not trade him unless he just is content to be, be on a losing team. And, I, I, by the way, I want the Angels. I, I'm going over time, and I apologize. I'll hit the button here in just a second. Send us the break. But I want the Angels to be half decent. I want to see Trout and Otani in the playoffs. I don't think anyone should objectively, unless they just really, really think their team's getting him, which I don't know if he's made any indication who he's interested in, unless you're one of these three, four, five teams that might get him, You want him in the playoffs, and, and hell, I want him on the Braves, but, again, I'd still want him in the playoffs this year, period, because he's not been there, and Trout's only been in there once. So it'd be good for the sport to see two of the top, I don't know, five to ten. Maybe Trout's fell into, like, the 12th best player in the league. Oh, big whoop. Two of the top 12 players in the sport I want to see in the Major League Baseball playoffs. So, again, that news with the trade deadline. There's been some other smaller trades. We'll probably break it down next Monday on the actual trade deadline. But, again, Angel's deciding to keep Shohei Otani uh, throughout this trade deadline process. He will hit free and see this offseason. We'll see where he will land. We are out of time for hour number one. Coming up in hour number two, we get football heavy. We start barking about the Pac-12 again. Colorado, they are looking like they are on their way to the Big 12. We'll talk about that. We'll have sports Hall's player of the week. And a little bit later, Big 12 over-unders. Could say over under teams added from the Pac 12. That could be a little uh, on the fly one there. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger
0: 95.9. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call starting
1: right now, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Donfrey, Brooks Shoulders with you here on this Thursday. Yeah, we are. Uh, yeah, proud to be with you here as uh, we're going to get into some big-time college football news now. I feel slightly affirmed uh, that—I uh, don't know if that's the right word, usage or not, honestly. You guys are looking at—I don't know. You're not looking
3: well, at Well, I that. haven't heard the rest of your statement, so I don't sure, that's, tell yeah, you what's yeah, yeah. wrong or wrong. Uh, right. Positive context, affirmation.
2: Context is everything.
1: I feel—let me do this. I know what this means. I feel validated that we spent a lot of time in the summer talking TV deals. Because the the news yesterday, uh, as we started to get towards the end of the show, uh, didn't hit on it too much because it was still uh, educated rumors, whispers, rumblings, uh, but almost official pending another Board of Regents meeting that Colorado is leaving the Pac-12 to return the Big 12. They were last in the Big 12 in 2010, so they spent about 13 years in the Pac-12, and again, I, I've tried to force this down your throats that the uh, grass is not always greener on the other side for the Buffaloes uh, on the Pac- in the Pac-12 conference, and so they are going back to the Big 12. That will put Big 12 membership post Texas and Oklahoma at 13. Of course, when we go through Big 12 win totals to uh, a little bit later today, there will be 14 teams on there, but. Uh, once Texas and Oklahoma depart down to 12, with Colorado coming back 13, logic would say conferences do not like to finish on odd numbers. Logic would say someone else might be on their way to the Big 12. Look, you could speculate and be cute with it and say something like SMU or something like that since they brought in Houston, bring in a Dallas market team or something like that. But I think that they're going to swing heavier than that. And I believe it's going to be someone else from the Pac-12. Honestly, not 100% sure. I know that Arizona has been on the Big 12's mind. They've been targeting some teams. There was UConn rumblings a, a month ago just for the basketball element of it. Arizona is obviously a-, a really terrific basketball program that's obviously been in the Power 5 level, even though not competently all the time in football, but they have been in the Power 5 level. Uh, but, guys, what was your reaction when when you heard yesterday uh, that Colorado is going back to the Big 12, or so it appears?
2: Y'all remember the alliance?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Y'all remember the alliance? That's that's the first thing that came to my mind. The other thing is, um, I, I can't remember. The Pac-12 commissioner, whose name escapes me. George Klaivakov. It escapes really, everybody uh, as well. I don't know right. exactly Right, right. It, it escapes name, him, too, I think. George, call like, him George. Yeah. yeah, Georgie. Uh <laughs> <laughs> he got up on the podium at Pac-12 Media Day and said, "In one in one thing, we have a media rights deal organized, but we're not going to talk about it here because we're talking about football." And then in the same speech, said something to the effect of, "The longer we wait, the better our deals get," implying that he did not have a deal. And not when, how that works, and, George. And, and Correct. then
3: when someone asked him about the deal, he said, "You're reading too much into it."
2: Yeah, yeah. I I don't think George is reading enough into it. So I. I don't George know. reading at all? He's not reading contracts. Um, yeah, remember when San Diego State like took a look at the Pac-12 and then said, nah, we're good? Yeah. It's, what's more embarrassing, Colorado leaving or San Diego State saying, no, thank you? San
1: Diego State was like looking from a lower building. They were like a three-story yeah. building. They were looking up at this six-story building, which in, in, in theory should be nicer. It should be better. It's a bigger building. And just saw absolute flames from every floor of the building. Just yep. all six, all six floors in complete yeah. shambles.
3: It was the building in Atlanta that's just elevators. They looked at that <laughs> and <they're> like oh. <laughs>
1: there's no actually place to stay here. Yeah. <laughs> so substance to this. Yeah. I mean, what do you think, Brooks?
3: I mean, it. It. You know, here's here's my first thought. We're going back. We're just we're regressing here in college football. Not regressing, but like we're 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 nature we're, is healing. We're repeating itself because the ACC just signed a new deal with their media rights that gives it gives part of their media back to Raycom Sports like a couple weeks ago. We, we're we now going backwards with Colorado leaving the Pac-12, going back to the Big 12. <laughs> I think the Big 12 needs to go after Nebraska. Take them back from the Big 10. Knock the Big 10 down a notch here because they're getting too big for their britches. And you, you, bring, them back, you bring in Nebraska back down and say, we're going to take this back over. Uh, but it's you know it, it it tells you something that you know Dion Sanders doesn't want to be a featured team on uh, featured channel on Roku TV or something with oh, yeah. with dared <laughs> da, uh, I have Roku TV, yeah. <laughs> with um, uh, Fear Factor TV. They don't want to be right next to Fear Factor TV on Roku TVs live whatever it is. Fear you know? of
1: lack of payment was a factor. Yeah, for you. it's yeah. it's
3: the the fact that the Fear lowest, is
2: so good. The, lowest so the
3: lowest the lowest Pac twelve school. And said, we're going to leave because we don't think that you can bring us any more value. We're going back to the Big 12 that just lost their two biggest brands. Two of the biggest brands in college football just left the, the Big 12 to come to the SEC. And the Colorado Buffalo... With the soup, with uh, I'm gonna say a superstar head coach because Deion Sanders is, is you know, is that he's he, he's a star head coach, he, he brings a lot of eyeballs to Colorado that wouldn't normally be there. They saw the Big 12 and they said, You guys know what's up. You just lost your two biggest, biggest uh, cash cows, figuratively and literally speaking, with Bevo. Um, mm. and you, you've got but they're like, You've got what it takes. We're coming to join you. These guys don't know what they're doing. Y'all actually have a TV deal with ESPN. We're gonna get our own like ESPN Plus stuff on there. Uh, we're you know we're gonna be featured on on ESPN channels. It, it's we're, we get a share. I think Fox still has a share of the Big Twelve. At, at least right now, um, we're gonna be we're gonna be on Fox. That's gonna be great. But the Pac-12 is over here. We've got a media deal. Oh yeah, what is it? we well, you're reading too much into that. W- what do you mean you're reading too much into that? Is it is? It's is, so important, George. Are you? Is, are, it, are, it, you
2: it's, really it's, need this? It is where all of your money comes from.
3: Are you doing what? What's the? Uh, is are you an NFHS now? Are you letting the? Are you going with the high school stuff? I don't know what <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. Like Brant said, the uh, Mountain West schools are looking at the Pac-12, saying, "No, we're good down here. We're good playing on CBS Sports Network because it's a better deal than whatever you're doing right now." Instead they,
1: of Mountain West, did you just say the Meg?
2: real quickly. Maybe the Meg. <laughs> the Meg, the Meg, the Meg. has a bigger TV deal. The the Me- he is bigger. He does.
3: <laughs> He's had two movies. Jason Statham was even in them. I don't
2: know. It's the Megalodon, right? Yeah. Now we're think, doing okay.
3: I think it's a good move for Colorado going back to the Big Twelve. Uh, I, if they, if Deion Sanders can get the team turned around and playing at a high level, they've with Texas and Oklahoma leading leaving. They've got a chance to come in and make some noise quickly in that conference.
1: You know, I, I think that when you're looking at the Pac-12s, well, let's say Pac-12 versus Big 12. I think we've made this comparison on the show if we haven't. If we haven't, now now I will. Both these conferences were faced with a very similar challenge. Like, this is not like one of these conferences was just inherently in a better position. Take Oklahoma and Texas out of the Big 12. Take USC, UCLA out of the pac 12 what do you got left? I would say value-wise, you're pretty damn even. You might even want to argue the Pac-12 is in a better position because of Oregon and Washington. And and not that Washington's a football juggernaut, but I'm just saying that's a huge market for one of your top programs to be in. And, and again, the success that Chris Peterson had there was real. They went to a playoff, and and uh, again they are uh, were a 11 win team last year. Obviously, there's a ceiling at Washington that that suggests that it is well above just a run of the mill power five school. They they might not hit the ceiling as often as as a lot of other teams, but the ceiling is actual actually pretty high there. That's a pretty good one, too. Is that a better one, too, than what the Big 12's top two left would have been, which would have been like Oklahoma State and I don't know, maybe TCU or, 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 Tech. Uh, t- I mean, you know, I like, I don't know which one you would have, I wouldn't said the Kansas schools. So I would say like Okie doke State and Baylor. And, and, and one of the Texas schools. Pick a Texas school, any of the Texas schools. You see what I'm saying? Like, Just I would Texas have rather school. had, a Texas school. I would have There's rather, you know, I would have rather, from brand-wise, started with Oregon and Washington. Now, maybe you'd say I'd still like the the Oklahoma State-Texas combo because of the locale and the, the pageantry for college football there. That's fine. That's a fair argument. But I'm just saying from a program prestige-wise or a program ability-wise, Oregon and Washington would probably be ahead. Certainly not below. And yet, here we are, a year or two removed from all this, and the Big 12 is vastly more attractive than the Pac-12. It's not even close. As as we point out, Colorado, who I wouldn't say they're the lowest team. They were the least successful team history-wise. They are absolutely not the lowest team in the Pac-12. Obviously, what they've done in 12 years in the Pac-12 is nothing. But I'm just saying the history of Colorado football is still above some of these other histories that were currently in the Pac-12. Yeah, I promise you it's above Washington State. You just go look at that. I mean, it's not <laughs> a promise. Uh, but – the point is, still, one of the teams that's not thought of in the upper echelon right now, and yet they were antsy enough to leave too? And look, it makes sense for them. They're going back home, of sorts. They've always been in a relationship with those type of teams in the in the Big 12 conference, even before it was named the Big 12. So this makes sense from their perspective. But also, it's just like, now you're down to nine. You're down to an odd number. You're down to an uncomfortably small number in this is Air, uh, in this space where the Big 10 about to be at 14, 16 teams. The SEC is at 16 teams. Um, Big 12 is confidently going to be at 12, but now they're going to be back up to 13, and I assume they're going to take someone else up to 14. 10 teams is not exactly what it used to be where conference is concerned and now look you might be out there saying well i prefer 10 teams because you've got a ability to play everybody play nine conference games you play everybody that's again completely fair i'm just telling you the way that it's going and it's going into bigger and bigger conferences for these conferences that matter a lot and so all this to say the big the, the Pac-12 had every opportunity the Big 12 had. They had an opportunity to try and find a TV deal. They had an opportunity to poach some teams from a lower-tier conference. They had the opportunity to market themselves as we're going to make quick and meaningful decisions rather than the wait-and-see approach that is potentially doing the Conference of Champions. And George Klaivakov's bullish nature to saying we'll be patient and wait, we'll get there when we get there, No, people don't wait to see the money. Show me the money. That's all we do in in athletics now, in this growing landscape where sports take up a bigger and bigger chunk of people's interest and time and economy. Like, you don't wait on this sort of thing. Uh, And so, all that to say, it's clear leadership differences between Jormac of of the Big 12 and Klavikov of the the Pac-12. And... This is a hit because whether or not you think that Colorado is going to be better with Dion, worse, well, it can't really get worse, but better, the same, whatever. <laughs> um, whatever you think of that, look, Brian Marcello noted this yesterday. Go back and look at Klavakoff's comments last year. He said Colorado was going to be one of their bell cows. No pun intended. One of their bell cows of their re- of the new Pac-12 of the TV deals. It's going to be great, he said, to to have Dion Sanders in our conference, and to be promoting Colorado in our conference. That was one of the teams they were going to rely on, whether we think of them as being high on the pile right now or not. And now they're gone. And so if you're the Big Ten, you're, you're, you you're have to show restraint, honestly, at the Big Ten at this point. I mean, you've got to – it's everything within you. Not be like, all right, you know. <laughs> uh, all right, you know. I mean, let, <laughs> let's go get them. Let's go ahead and get Oregon. Let's go ahead and get Washington. Let's go ahead and do this. Because there's also, and this is the more speculative part, those were, I I hope I just spit facts there, because really everything there was what has happened. Now into some speculation. There's probably another team on their way from the Pac-12 to the Big 12. Again, it's probably not SMU. It's probably not someone else from the AAC. It is probably, while while the chaos has ensued with Pac-12 and the lack of TV deal, Big 12 is targeting that weakness for their own gain. And kudos to them. That's how you do this. That's how you stay afloat and don't get left behind in this changing landscape of the sport. And so I'm not sure who who this other Pac-12 team is going to be. We've seen yesterday I saw some Oregon State rumblings, which seemed weird to me. There's the Arizona bit, which, again, for basketball-wise, that really strengthens the Big 12's hold as a premier basketball conference. Uh, there is also... I could see something where um, Utah might make some sense. I, I don't know if they need to flood that market. They already got BYU, but, you know, you have Utah, BYU. Utah's a, a completely competent football program. They have been whether they were in the Mountain West or in the Pac-12. But they're going to get somebody else out of this, I, I truly believe. And then the Pac-12 will be down to eight. And then you ask yourself, if you're Oregon or Washington, Do we just – even if the Big Ten's not giving us a call, should we just go ahead and give them a call? Say, no, nope, we're done with this. Don't care anymore. We're out. You can't save it. You can add San Diego State, UNLV, Boise State, Idaho, Idaho State, Idaho A&M. Don't matter. We're gone. There's not enough value left for us because we bled the two top teams in this conference. We bled a middle-tier team in Colorado, and Lord knows what they'll bleed here when, when more and more team decides. And so if I was Oregon, Washington, Washington, and again, let me say one other thing, let you guys back in here because I know I've been rambling and rambling. (laughs) The other thing I'll say is I personally, Ryan LaVoy, does not want there to be three super conferences at the end of the day. I like kind of how Greg Sankey prefers it, by the way. I wish it would stay as close to what it's been as it can, as it could. You know, five or six meaningful conferences, some others that still have a chance to have their day in the sun. That's what I prefer. I am not going to revel in three twenty-team conferences or or four eighteen-team conferences, whatever we end up getting to if the Pac-12 just completely uh, explodes. But I'm just certainly telling you that the Pac-12 is the conference that deserves this. They have been very much so the conference that peddled themselves more than anyone else from the outside did. The whole Conference of Champions moniker, I know everyone has a cute moniker. I get it. But that has fed into their ability and their, or their inability to be self-aware of their value and thinking they are worth more than they have been. And so that their approach speaks to this because you don't, again, wait for what? Wait to add more teams. You gotta add the teams first. This is a this is a simultaneous relationship. You don't just wait for things to fall in your lap. You have to go make things happen. That's what the Big 12 did. They went and made things happen with UCF and Houston, BYU, Cincinnati. They those weren't just oh, let's wait two years. They were doing that weeks after Oklahoma and Texas were gone. That that was ball was in motion immediately. And so that's why some of these teams like Colorado are not waiting any longer because all they've done is wait. Colorado ain't waiting around either, by the way, when they're in joining the league. It's in 12 months. They're not waiting to 2025, 2027, whenever. It's next year they will be in the Big 12. Uh, and so I, I just, again, it, it is failed leadership. It is frustrating to see from the outside. I have no stake in the Pacific 12 Conference. And, again, of all the conferences to – have these issues that they are the ones to deserve it, but it is sort of maddening how incompetently they've been run and how they've dug their own hole and potentially their own grave.
2: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. While they're sitting around waiting, saying, "Hey, we're going to be patient. We're going to see what comes," other teams have been active. I mean, the the first domino to fall in this was Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC, and when that happened, the Big Twelve, like you touched on, it was weeks later that they started talking to to other schools to saying, "Hey." Let's go get some of the biggest Group of Five schools and make them part of ours. Let's get more than we lost, honestly. So it, the way that they handled it, I mean, the Big Ten kind of handling it in a different way, going for other power conference, other teams from Power Conferences, but the Big 12 knew that it had to keep up, and it was going to go on life support if they couldn't make these call-ups, so they go to UCF, they go to these other AAC schools, and they say, hey, come be a part of a Power Conference, and now those schools are going to join because these are the schools that have been begging for an opportunity to prove themselves against the big boys. Well, now they've got it. They're going to compete against the big boys every single year. And I think that's a very smart move by the Big 12 that the Pac-12 has just neglected to do. And I, I you as the Pac-12 do not have to go down and get a lower-tier team. But you've got to go get somebody. Well, you've all got they've go got is lower-tier
1: teams. Yeah. all That's all they have access to because they've waited so long. Literally, the best list I can come up with here, here, let's let's do a save the Pac-12 exercise, okay? (laughs) Save the Pac-12. Let's assume that Oregon and Washington will be good soldiers and keep hanging in there, okay? Let's see what they've got. Can they go... To the AAC, because well, again, no Power Five conference teams are going there. So you got to look at the AAC and the Mountain West.
2: I think San Diego right. State was a really good idea. They've just waited right. too long.
1: Uh, AAC, maybe they could reconvince San Diego State or something. But look, okay, you know, UTSA just got pulled up. I'm going to go through these. UTSA just got pulled up from conference say, Seems too small. Desperation grab. SMU, that's the that's the best Potential. one. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and bury the. Lead. That's the the best one you could do. Tulane makes little to no sense. Memphis, geographically, what what? I mean, I, I know geog- geography is out the window, but if you fill your league with four teams to to go to uh, Pullman, Washington. And and Corvallis, Oregon, and all of that. Again, that's that's strategy-wise, interesting too. So a lot of these AAC teams don't make sense. Ford Atlantic would make zero sense ge- geographically. East Carolina, the same. Navy, absolutely not. North Texas. I mean, that's such a small. Pro- that's not a top Group of Five program. It's okay. Temple, no sense. Rice, fried, you know, <laughs> steamed. I don't – I mean –
2: Respect the Owls. Such
1: a small program. Do you just
2: go get the small schools in Texas? Is that their best play at this point?
1: Maybe. I mean, I I certainly think SMU would make sense. Again, I keep – markets don't mean everything because, again, you got to have school pride. And and, and some of these smaller conferences have just targeted markets, and it's not gotten them anywhere because, again, like, for example, I've talked about this with the AAC adding Charlotte. I thought the AAC made a couple worthy additions as we're going through them. But I also thought like something like Charlotte was just like, okay – Char- Char- the Charlotte 40 are like the eleventh most important sports thing going on there. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe not even there. They're not top ten. Uh, UAB would not make sense. Charlotte would not make sense. South Florida geographically no sense. Tulsa, uh, you know, geographically that's better, but Tulsa's pretty small. All right, fine. Let's leave the AAC with like Tulsa and SMU. Here's your okay. Here's the beginning of the poo-poo platter. All right, so. <laughs> Uh, I used that on the show yesterday. I might just start using it every day if we keep bringing up Pac-12. Um, so Mountain West, that's where geographically these are the teams that make sense to everybody. The obvious two you would have to pull and have to convince are Boise State and San Diego State. Yeah, If you're not doing that, you're not getting what you could get. You're not getting the best version of what the, the Big 12 did with, with pulling from the AAC. You've got to get those two. That puts you back up to 12 members if you're taking SMU, Tulsa, Boise State, and San Diego State. Are you happy with 12 after you were at 12? Well, that is the number of your teams. But if your trade is USC, UCLA, Colorado, and throw out a Utah or something, for Boise State, San Diego State, Tulsa, and SMU, that is rough. And, that is rough.
3: And when when you're if you're the Pac-12, let me point throw this in there. If you're trying to convince some of these group of five schools to come and join you with the expanded playoff coming up, you have to convince them that they've got a better chance of making the playoff with you rather than being the highest ranked one of the higher ranked group yeah. of five teams. Because yeah. if I'm Boise State and saying I can get to like a 16 or 14 or 15 ranking right there, and I can be in the in the conversation for a playoff spot. Or I can go to the Pac-12 and maybe be the fourth team in the Pac-12. I'm, I'd take my chances staying in the Northwest. You know Mountain
1: what you West. get if you end up winning as the sixth best conference and you end up getting the playoffs? You know what you get for that? What is that? Money. You get money. Yeah. And that's that would make up the difference. Now, obviously, it's not going to be accessible to all these teams, but you know, the top team like Boise or San Diego State would definitely feel like they could win the Mountain West several times as opposed to being – 6th, 7th in the Pac-12 at least to start off with.
2: And now we're back to the TV deal thing because you're going to get more money with the TV rights and the Mountain West than you are in the Pac-12 at this point.
1: If the Pac-12 keeps sitting. In theory, right. I don't know what the, the the Mountain West deal is, but I, you could almost argue with the incompetence just the, the Mountain West reach out to a couple Pac-12 teams, bring them over, let the <laughs> Big Ten have the rest, Pac-12's gone, Mountain West says, all right, well, we have Pac-12 leftovers plus our top group of five teams here.
3: The uh, the Mountain West is currently in the middle of a $270 million deal with CBS and Fox that ends in the 2025-2026 season.
1: I, don't, I still don't know how much that pays out per team, though.
3: Because um, that's like a total November's ton. receive about $4 million each year.
1: Okay, that's very small. considerable
3: so, increase from the annual 1.1 under the uh, last one.
1: Okay, so see, that's very small. The Pac-12... So Colorado, for reference, to getting 31 from the Big 12. I would think the Pac-12 would still land in the high teens. That would be my projection. So that's still a reasonable amount of money. Now, it ends in 25-26. So what you could then go say is the Mountain West is kind of rebranded as, as now the premier conference on the West Coast. And then you, you could probably up it to 10-12 million per right. year by then. And it wouldn't be a huge difference. But, you know, th- there is still money out there, but Again, you're. I. I. To be fair, I don't even know the numbers. I, maybe twenty million, eighteen million for the Pac-12 is way too strong. Maybe. Maybe it's like twelve million. I. I don't know. Uh, but the rest of the Mountain West, could you pull Fresno? Like, okay, you know, that's a California market. They're usually somewhat competent. Wyoming, why? San Josh Santa's, Allen, man. Yeah, <laughs> for that like eight win Wyoming team, you would right. with an NFL uh, Pro Bowler. San Jose State, yeah. You know, Utah State, I don't think so. Colorado State, well, we just lost Colorado. So kind of missed out on a rivalry opportunity. Nevada, that state has people. UNLV, oh, yeah, five people go to their games. There's <laughs> other things to do in Vegas. New Mexico, Yeah.
3: Now, listen, listen. Let me, let me say this. UNLV did just schedule a, a road game with Washington in 2028, so...
1: Just sure. Saying. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. They're Just not gonna be in the same conference. I I don't I, I don't know. Anyway, I think we went through it pretty pretty well there. Bleeding more teams. You look, you start with San Diego State and Boise State, that's fine. Like those two right there, even SMU, not bad. But that was to add from UC uh UCLA and USC. Like you drop from twelve to ten. The idea is to get up to 14. That's what the Big 12's doing. They dropped two teams. They didn't add two. They added four. Because you need to add more to even get close to the value you just lost. So when you lose two for the Pac-12, that's why you add San Diego State, Boise State. Then you can add SMU or Tulsa or whatever. You got four. You love a couple of those. You're okay with the other two. Boom. You got strength in numbers there. But now you're probably losing four teams. So you probably have to add six. Like I said, if you do a four for four there – this ain't Wendy's. It ain't good, okay? This is not. That would not be good at all. Um, and and so you're at trying to add six for four, and then that's when you're getting into something weird. Like, all right, Rice, you made it from the whack to the Pac-12. You were in the whack in like 2008. Here's your Pac-12. Well, did you have a really great, successful program the last 15 years? Yeah, we went to a couple bowl games. Had a couple seven win teams.
2: Who was the highly ranked? Who was the highly drafted quarterback who was out of Fresno State? Derek Carr. Was it Derek Carr? Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, Derek Carr. Yeah. So I'm just. It's just horrible mismanagement of the conference, and okay, let me give you one more. I know we're just blowing through commercial breaks that that should have been had by now. Great discussions are had by all though. So let me ask you guys this. If you're Oregon and Washington, let's say again, I don't want to say Oregon State, although that's one of the rumors. Let's keep the rivals' keep the rivals' names out of your mouth type of thing for right now. Let's say it's like Utah or Arizona, one of those two leaves for, with Colorado to the Big 12. If you're Oregon and Washington's ADs, what should your stance be? Should you keep waiting it out? With the Pac-12, I'm I'm just going to frame it in a very neutral way. Should you keep waiting out with the Pac-12 with your conference? Or should you be calling on the Big Ten, asking about exit fees, asking about TV deals there, that sort of thing?
2: I think if you're one of those two programs, you're looking at the current state of the conference and going, we've got a chance to make a playoff at this point. We could very easily win this conference and make it to the playoff and worry about the future when the future comes. If I'm a football coach, that's probably how I'm seeing it. If I'm an athletic director thinking about the long-term future, I'm I'm at least reaching out to the Big Twelve and saying like, "Hey, we want to stay here for maybe one or two, maybe three more years, but after that, we, we want to do something different." And I don't know if it's Big Ten, Big Twelve, uh, whichever one they want to join, but I, I think at some point, I think <laughs> I think the short-term goal is stay here as long as the building is not collapsed yet. But since it is very clear that, like, the, to use the analogy you used earlier. The building is on fire. Fire at all six floors. If it's Th-
1: flying, it's not good either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's
2: there's bricks and and structure flying. flying everywhere. Yeah. But uh, as long as you can, as long as you can keep the ship afloat, be the thing that keeps the ship afloat, because you're going to get some really easy conference championships that way, and then some pass to the playoffs. But you need to you need to have an exit strategy uh, very quickly.
1: Brooks, you—I you, mean, you—you you follow Oregon's program a lot. You've done it for several years. You yeah. kind of like them out there.
3: I mean, I—I'm—it's—I'm on the same thinking. I—I th- I think if you're now, if you're in the Pac-12, uh, if you're one of the premier programs, i.e., Oregon or Washington, you're looking at this and you're saying USC and UCLA is gone. Colorado really wasn't a worry for us right now. Maybe they would have been in a couple years, but they're not really a worry for us right now. We could run this thing. And because we're you know still considered a Power Five conference, I don't know how much longer that that could go, um, but we're still considered a Power Five conference. If you know we can we can start running this joint and we can make some playoffs and get a you know a, a fairly decent seed because we are a, a a Power Five conference. And so I think right now, you I mean you definitely the money starts talking a little bit. That's that's the is is the Big Twelve or the Big Ten calls the money starts talking, but. When you are, if you're Oregon and you're Washington, you look at it. If you go to the Big Ten, you got to compete against a now revitalized USC, Michigan, who's back in a, in a position where they're perennially challenging for playoff spots. Ohio State, who's always going to be good. Penn State, who's good. Wisconsin, who was at a little bit of a down, but they're, they're always a team that can that that can make some noise. Michigan State, who is. You know, a, a team that can always make some noise. They're a little bit, you know, they're another team that's like had a had an iffy year, but they can still make some noise. You're looking at the list of teams that you'd have to play, and then you look at the list of teams you you would have to play in the Pac-12, and you're like, well, we can kind of run this show over here, and you guys can have fun beating up on each other, and, you know, two of you guys or three of you guys make the, make the playoff, and... We're definitely going to make it, you know, because we're going to win our conference. You, Michigan, you may not win your conference. You may have to go on the road and play at Oregon, or you may have to go on the road and play at a, at an Oklahoma or something, or, or at a Texas here in a couple of years. So instead, we're going to stick over here. So I, I think that's the that will be the play right now, is you if you're Oregon and you're Washington, you, you see the framework of, I can run this conference, we can make playoffs year after year because we win the conference every single year, and we don't have to get... Our our faces beat up every single week, and maybe finish fourth in the Big Twelve or in the Big Ten.
1: So you you're again to recap for both of you guys. You're still willing to have you're not you're not planting your flag strong. You still kind of feeling it I'm, out a little bit.
2: I'm I'm going to enjoy a weaker conference while I can, while having one mm-hmm. foot out the door.
1: Okay, gotcha. So we'll uh, we'll wrap this up with this uh, Big Twelve. Uh, this, this became official about ten minutes ago. As we've been talking about this in this long segment, uh, it is official. The Board of Regents did approve it for the for Colorado, uh, and Colorado is uh, is going to the Big Twelve. That is official. There's now no 98, 99% sure that is official. The Big Twelve put out a statement through Commissioner Brett Yormack, the competent Brett Yormack. Although I don't agree with every every single thing he does, because I don't know if I love the neutral site stuff in Mexico City. I do think he's a competent commissioner. Uh, here is the quote regarding the University of Colorado. Quote, they're back. <laughs> that, uh, that is uh, the Jordan type of uh, facts right there for immediate release. So Colorado back to the Big 12. We will see if there's another domino to follow uh, from the Pac-12 to the Big 12. Of course, we will be talking at length about it if and when that does happen we need to take our first timeout of our number two when we come back sports calls player of the week will be unveiled you're listening to the thursday edition of sports call on tiger 95.9
0: Attention, please. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Hi, my name is what? My name is My name is sports call on Tiger 95.9. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
1: Welcome back to Sports Call Tiger ninety five point nine. Ryan Lavoy, Brooks Shoulders, and <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll just be honest with you, Brad. I almost called you Austin Riley. <laughs> I've lost. Man, it for I, a wish. Moment. I wish. I wish. Uh, man,
3: hold on, Brant, stand up. Stand up real quick. I'm standing. Yeah. All right. Swing. Act like you swing a bat.
1: Turn that his mic off for this in case there's contact.
3: Yeah, that's kind of
2: like
1: Austin Riley. Yeah, close enough. You think?
2: Yeah. I'm I'm a big thick right hander. So there you go. Uh, well, and so th- you're from Georgia, and I'm from Georgia,
1: right? Don't quite work in Georgia, but yeah, close no, I, 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 I yeah. don't work in Georgia, yeah. but, but I've, I've been there. I've, I've, I've work, been
2: to Atlanta several times.
3: Works in a city with A as the first letter of the name. Mm-hmm. Close that. enough,
1: close enough. So again, Ryan Lavoy, Brooks Childress, Brant Dontry with you here on this Thursday just gave it away very clearly, but let's go ahead and hear it. Here is this week's Sports Call Player of the Week.
4: Braves third baseman Austin Riley is Sports Call's Player of the Week. Riley showed a return to his all-star form this week, hitting 400 with six home runs over six games. In
2: that stretch, Riley made franchise history, homering in five straight games, which ties the Braves record. He also drove in 16 runs over that stretch, which is the most over a five-game stretch by Braves since RBIs became an official stat in 1920. The Braves ended their lead in the NL East over that stretch as well, as they now lead the division by 11 and a half games over the Phillies and the Marlins. Braves third baseman Austin Riley is Sports Call's
0: Player of the Week.
1: A historic week for Austin Riley last week. We vote Braves very often in the summer months. There's not as much going on. We don't um, vote for a lot of the smaller sports most of the time, so we stick to a lot of Braves. When, uh, if at all possible, last week the team only went three and three. Obviously, not off to a great start this week either. We'll talk about that maybe later, or if not to, uh, today, tomorrow. Uh, but Austin Riley last week, as you guys just heard, again appreciate Brant for uh, producing that, and TP Hammock for our, our our intern, I guess as of now now a uh, employee, but uh, TP Hammock for voicing that. Um, a historic week, something that had not been done. In an incredibly long time, if ever, uh, for in the Braves franchise history uh, with the home runs and RBIs and in that, in that sort, short of a time span. And so he was providing the pop. It's good to see Austin Riley have a big week like that, too. His power numbers have been a little bit down. The average has been fine. But again, when the power numbers are down and the average is a little down, you don't worry a lot, per se, but you definitely notice it, but... In one week, guys, Austin Riley went right back to now on pace for all the numbers you expect him to have.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I kind of said it this way last week, kind of as a joke, but it's like he remembered who he was. You know, he he remembered that he's a guy that has the talent level to compete for an MVP a, a, a cup every couple of years, and is a perennial All Star, and is a guy that sh- hits just south of 300 and can have somewhere between 30 and 40 home runs. He he realized that he's. A really good baseball player, and he started playing like it again. And obviously, he couldn't keep up that pace. What is it, six homers in five games? No one's going to do that for the entire season. But it, he seems to have gotten back on the horse a little bit, and that's a really good sign.
3: Yeah, and you know, it, it's it's really good to have a for the Braves to have a guy doing some positive stuff because it feels like out of the All Star break they haven't done a lot of positive. Um, it, it's still, but you know, you, you look at the lead hasn't really shrunk uh, in the in the National League East. And so not, not a lot of people doing positive things out of the All-Star break, especially around the, the NL East. But, you know, Austin Riley, it was, a, it was a quiet thing, too. It's like you really didn't realize it was happening. And then all of a sudden you see the graphics pop on Twitter. It's like, hey, guess what? Just did this historic thing. You're like, whoa, all right, cool. And then uh, it, it kind of got marred under, under the, the Diamondbacks uh, series last week and then the struggles in Milwaukee even though you won that series it was it it still felt like you you were battling the whole weekend it, it hadn't felt like a you know a brave series of the first half where you came in and won the series in convincing fashion but yeah Austin Riley has is, is stepped up to the plate here figuratively and and literally and uh has done some big things for the Braves out of out of the All-Star break in, in this past week and de- very deserving of this uh this coveted honor
1: <laughs> absolutely uh, Riley, you know, I think, again, as you mentioned, a couple of those games were losses, so I think we don't pay as close enough attention or don't string it together as much as he actually did when we think about when the team loses and that sort of thing. And, again, it was a 3-3 three and three week last week for the Braves, now 0-2 this week after uh, losing a three-run lead in the, in the latter innings against Boston last night. Always hate when the Braves lose to Boston. That's just my clashing of worlds. I already deal with the Red Sox enough because my second team of interest is the Yankees. And so when the Braves go play Boston, I really get irked because you don't get many more shots at them. You know, you, you get a quick series, and that's usually it. So I was disappointed by. The losses last night. I we can actually break this game down a little bit. Did you, did you guys watch that game last night by any chance on ESPN? Uh,
2: I watched. I think the second half of it. I I did not watch a lot of it.
1: Okay, Brooks. Did you watch any of it? Not really.
3: Uh, I mean, I went back and checked the box scores and I watched some highlights and stuff.
1: So no, watch it. All right. So <laughs> the the point is, this was on ESPN uh, last night. Of yeah. course, you can hear all the games on twelve thirty W WAED, the Braves radio network. But the TV side of things was handled by ESPN last night. I thought it was interesting commentary, and I'm actually calling this out because I disagreed with it, about how they managed Spencer Strider last night. So, Braves take a 3-0 lead, I believe, in the sixth, yeah, when bottom, Ozzie Albies hit, six. hit a three-run tank in the right field bullpen. It's a long way to hit one uh, to, to dead right in, in Boston. If you don't hit that pesky pole down the line, then it, it gets it gets deep quickly. So good home run for Albies. Again, unbelievable the power power he generates. And actually Tim Kirch was talking about that on the broadcast just prior to him hitting home run. Stryer gives up a solo homer in the bottom of six. First kind of hiccup. Been pitching very efficiently, very well. Three to one. Braves do nothing top seven. Bottom seven. Home run. I think he got first pitter out maybe. And then home run uh, to center. So 400 foot plus homer. And then hard line drive single. They pulled Strider at 91 pitches. They pulled him after that. So what happened from there, Pierce Johnson, who we just talked about on the show earlier this week, won the new acquisitions. He comes in, he gets a ground ball. It could have been a double play. It was d- interesting because it was hit right up the middle, but Ozzie had ran up the middle because the runner was trying to steal second. Ozzie, with his foot on the bag, had an opportunity to field it, and he missed it. Uh, Went off his glove, and everyone was safe. Instead of at least one out, if not both, became no out. Johnson then got a ground ball out. That was two outs. Again, under the scenario that Albies gets any one out, that is surely the inning by that point. But instead, two outs. And then Justin Turner hits a long-ringing two-run double off the top of the monster to make it 4-3. to And Aguano Perez was adamant that they should not have pulled Spencer Strider. You know, he held that opinion before, really, it happened too, but was adamant should not have pulled him, thought it was a bad decision, this, that, and the other thing. Here's where I disagree. I understand the bit about the pitch count. 91 pitches is not a ton. Usually 100 or 105 is where I like to keep uh, pitchers unless they are just still mowing people down and in the 8th or ninth inning. The problem was Strider had just given a home run the inning before. He gave up a home run that inning, and he gave up a hit. So the tying run was on base. The go-ahead run was in the batter's box. Reminder, Spencer Strider gave up three, if not four, runs in the seventh inning of his last start. There's been a clear block for him in the seventh inning as we get third time through the order and that sort of thing. It has clearly gone downhill for him, and the Braves saw that. Remember, Back when we were not as worried about pitch counts, when we would throw 110, 120, it would be all right, you would still pull pitchers in the sixth or seventh inning if they were starting to get hit. He'd given up two home runs in his last four batters, and he'd given up a, a hard single then after that. Stryder was starting to get hit. It was starting to leave him over the middle. And so... I also want to remind everyone, too, that, again, it would have worked if there was not an error in that bottom half inning. Johnson would have gotten out of that. So I don't think this was a horrible managing decision. I think it was unfortunate because of the the defensive lap. I think it was unfortunate because Strider had just tired out just a little earlier than normal. Uh, It was just a frustrating game. It does emphasize that, again, the Braves have had – uh, their worries and trying to go to the bullpen and with all these injured guys, there's less options. There is more of a need to get starters deep in games. But, again, I didn't feel like this was the horrific move that Eduardo Perez made out to be.
2: Yeah, I've, there's a tweet here from Sam Peebles. He works for Fansided that I think kind of illustrates your point as to it's not a bad idea to take him out of that point. It's Spencer Strider's ERA by inning, innings one through seven. In the first inning, he's got a 2.14. Awesome. Not bad. Second inning, 5.14. Weirdly bad. Uh, third inning, 4.29. Not the best. Fourth inning, 4.29. Not the best. Fifth inning, 2.70. We're getting into Excellent. elite territory again. Yeah. Sixth inning is his best ERA with 1.29. Interesting. Season. Sixth inning. His seventh inning ERA uh-huh. this season, 13.5.
1: Whoa. Now, I guess that's because he doesn't pitch him a lot. Now he's getting yeah. up some runs. but Yeah.
2: When, when he gets to that point, when he gets to the seventh inning, teams start to figure him out a little bit. Yeah. That is and interesting. That, that's happened consistently.
1: So anyway, I just I thought that that sometimes we talk about local broadcast versus major broadcast and that sort of thing. I think understanding the team and part of that is one thing. And again, we're starting to see that Strider clearly is hitting a wall. I guess right around that seventh inning, regardless of pitch count. Again, the dude's electric. You know, he has given up more home runs this year. That's why his ERA is in the high threes as opposed to the high twos like it was last year. He's still striking everybody and their brother out um but you know again last night I do not think sometimes it is on the manager sometimes there's a hook that quick hook or you know, goes the wrong guy I think everything had been fine it just there was a defensive lapse and that's sometimes out of your control so anyway Braves dropped a tough one to Boston got swept in that quick two game set they're off again today though keep getting the rest for the bullpen back at it against Milwaukee two weekends two Milwaukee series this one will be at Truist Park. Hopefully. What's that kid's name, that outfitter's name? uh, Freelick. Freelick. Hopefully Freelick doesn't have millions (laughs) of hits and plays against Atlanta this time around. We are out of time for hour number two, but stay tuned. In hour number three, 2023 Big 12 win totals. Last year for Texas and Oklahoma in the conference. Hey, last year before Colorado joins and somebody else probably. So we'll go over and unders with Big 12 win totals coming up after this.
0: Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now let's get this hour of sports call started.
1: Hour number three is sports call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger FM, and the Tiger Communications App. Ryan Lavoy, Brooks Childress, and Brant Dontry with you here on this Thursday fun show so far if you've missed any of it go go back and check out the sports call podcast brought to you by coca-cola if you ever miss sports call live or if you want to hear something again make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcast and join ice cold coca-cola to go along with the honda sports talk coca-cola tastes the feeling all right as we've done each and every day this week let's go through a power five conference Win totals. It may not be as squeaky clean next year, guys. May not have five five conferences for five days Boy, the way the Pac-12 is trending. We shall see. Uh, but it, today is Big 12 day. Again, reminder: if you missed any of it, Monday we did the SEC. Tuesday we did the Pac-12. Wednesday we did the Big Ten. Today's the Big 12. Tomorrow we will conclude with the Atlantic Coast Conference. So, as has been the form for each of the days. Going to read out all the teams over under totals, and we will take a smattering of them, some that we like over, some that we like under, and, of course, a little conversing of the the top couple of teams uh, in their final voyage with the Big 12 Texas and Oklahoma. So let's get to it. We'll start with Texas and Oklahoma. They are the only two teams in the league with win totals of nine and nine or better. They are at both at nine and a half. Kansas State, the reigning conference champion, they are at eight and a half. TCU, the reigning national runner-up, is at seven and a half with Texas Tech and Baylor. Again, all three of those at seven and a half. New to the conference, the highest over-under for the newbies is UCF at six and a half. Also at six and a half, Oklahoma State and Kansas. Also uh, down at Five and a half, you got Iowa State, BYU, and Cincinnati. Of course, BYU and Cincinnati, new to the league, and down lowly at four and a half is West Virginia and Houston. So again, to kind of put a bow on those numbers, you got two teams at nine and a half, one at eight and a half, but then you got three teams at seven and a half, three teams at six and a half, three teams at five and a half and two teams at four and a half. No one above nine and a half, no one below four and a half, which has kind of been rare for these conferences. Usually there's been someone in double figures. Usually there's even been someone below four and a half, at least in a couple of these leagues, like yesterday, where we had a couple of teams at three and a half in the Big Ten. Uh, So, guys, what stands out initially to you, either as too low, too high, or or just right?
2: Oklahoma went six and seven last year. They did. And their over-under projected win total is nine and Like is. It is. I know they have a super talented team, but I mean it just didn't go well last year, and not—I don't think a lot has changed. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but Brent Venables still there,
1: still going to be Dylan Gabriel, yeah,
2: still still going to be the same large makeup of this roster. Nothing major has changed. I just—I think Brent Venables is a better coach than six and seven, but I'm not sure he's at nine and a half yet. I, I'm I'm definitely slamming the over or slamming the under for Oklahoma.
3: You know. I don't know if I would slam the under because you you look at the talent would you level.
2: Caress the under, or <laughs> I just don't lightly pat the under. Right. <laughs> the
3: the Oklahoma is a, is a team that I, I know a lot of people have of high expectations for. Um, there you know, it, last year it felt like it was you know Brent Venables' his first time as a head coach. It was an adjustment period. Um, Oklahoma still has a bunch of talent. There, it wasn't like it was a mass exodus that I don't recall when, uh, when, um, Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley, thank you so much. Yep. Uh, when Lincoln Riley left, it doesn't feel like there was a mass exodus except for the quarterback uh, spot. But you've got uh, Dylan Gabriel there, who is a fair, uh, a very good quarterback. Um, I don't, like I said, I don't know if I hammer the under nine and a half. I mean, you're looking at the schedule; they don't have a, a big marquee out of conference game this year. You're, you're taking on uh, your out of conference schedules, Arkansas State, SMU and Tulsa uh, and, and, and then everything else is, falls in there their biggest challenge of course is Texas on that neutral site game. Um, and then Oklahoma State later in the year, TCU at the end of the year. I, you know I could I could see a, I can there's a realistic track for nine games because Iowa State was down last year. UCF is coming into the conference uh, you know they're still in, and Cincinnati and BYU they' they're all coming into the conference they've still got a, a you know at least a year to probably adjust to the, the talent level there although UCF has done a phenomenal job recruiting Gus Melson has done a great job recruiting there. Kansas uh, they're uh, they lost a quarterback didn't they they're they're, uh, they're not they don't have their same quarterback back last year or else he got hurt or he, he got hurt last year he did um, No Jalen Daniels is still back. So I could see them that that Kansas game up West Virginia is a team that I don't think a lot of people have a lot of hope for. I see a realistic possibility for for nine wins, um, but I, I I think I'm with Brant. I would lightly pat. I'm Brant's hammering the under. I would lightly pat the under. And say they, they don't quite get there, but I, I don't think it's a oh, it, oh nine and a half is ridiculous. I can see a I can see a realistic track here to get to that nine wins uh, if you're Oklahoma. Texas is the same way. I, I can see a realistic possibility getting to those nine wins. That your biggest challenge again, Oklahoma. Uh, Texas Tech and Alabama are your, your biggest challenges here. Maybe Kansas State. You put Texas
1: Tech in the same sense as Alabama. I'm, for
3: for <laughs> wins losses, yes. In terms of program, no. Um, but you know, it, uh, Texas Tech has got one of the more veteran quarterbacks in the league this year with uh, Tyler Shuck, uh, and and so I, I think that they've got a realistic possibility to to uh, be, to beat a Texas team if they if they uh, play them uh, well. And so I, I think that Texas, I think Texas has a better chance of reaching that nine games than Oklahoma does, uh, That nine, uh, but there's nobody in this conference that I think, has, uh, I feel very strongly about going undefeated.
1: I don't see a playoff team in the Big 12 this year, and when we do our complete conference breakdowns, I know this is a way to break down a conference, but we'll have a a different kind of a conference breakdown when we kind of relate to who's going to win that conference, players, that sort of thing, and uh, a little bit later, closer to the season. But when I'm just looking at these win totals, gosh, Oklahoma at 9.5, it's it's a brand thing, it's a talent, it's the idea of talent thing. I'm just worried about Brent Venables. I mean, again, it's not like Oklahoma last year went and just played this – awful schedule all the teams in this league are the same like there i mean, I know that there are a couple of teams like tcu that are not gonna be as good as they were last year but i'm just saying like these it's not they haven't changed conferences yet and no one around them has changed except for adding a couple of teams like ucf who is on their schedule in cincinnati the good news for oklahoma is they don't have a conference non-conference game i expect them to lose s arkansas state SMU, and at tulsa nothing to worry about i don't think uh, then they start a the conference slate pretty light at Cincinnati host Iowa State. So Oklahoma could get some real momentum uh, behind themselves. But I'm not confident in it because if they lose to Texas, could they lose to Oklahoma State? Absolutely. Oklahoma State's going to want to beat them. This is the last bedlam that we know of. So Oklahoma State's going to want that bad. It's going to be at Oklahoma State. Uh, could they lose to someone like TCU again? Maybe by the end of the year TCU's figured out uh, their situation, the only problem with TCU is they've only got three returning offensive stars. They lost really all. Yeah, they they lost mean, everybody. I mean, they 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 really did. So, TCU is going to be hard to figure this year. So, Oklahoma has a break scheduling-wise. I'm just not sure they're a great team. And not great teams will lose somebody. I mean, they could easily lose at Kansas. I mean, I know that sounds weird to say, uh, but, you know, they only beat them by 10 last year. It's not like there's this world of difference in Oklahoma and Kansas, which is just so <laughs> weird to say. In football, but I, I'm not confident. In, they're not. They don't seem like they're good enough to go win 10 or 11 games. The schedule might for, force them to, might be around that area. Whereas Texas, I I think Texas will beat Oklahoma. I think Texas will be better than Oklahoma. I think Texas's offense will be really damn good this year. Problem is they've got a loss in the non-conference. In my opinion, I think they're going to lose to Alabama. Now, look, they played Bama as well as you could last year without beating them. And, uh, you know, Alabama is still going to have to be figuring out the quarterback situation, It's going to be week two. So that's going to be a, a trial by fire by whoever Alabama does go with. But I still don't love anyone waltzing in the Bryant-Denny in the non-conference. Alabama's been awesome against non-conference teams uh, under Nick Saban. So I, 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 I still think that is going to be a loss for them. So now you got to play one lost ball the rest of the year. Can they do that? Sure, but they do have the little tougher edge of it because they do have someone like Kansas State uh, and Baylor who I value more than some of the teams Oklahoma had. Oklahoma had uh, some teams like West Virginia and BYU that are going to be the bottom half of this league, whereas Texas has more of some top-half teams. But again, I think the moral of the story is even with Texas and Oklahoma, even if they end up being the top of the league, I just don't think they're good enough to avoid that upset loss. I don't think they're good enough to – really stand out especially if texas can't beat alabama and so i don't think there's a playoff team out of this big 12 this year obviously it's kind of a fluke thing a freak thing that it was tcu last year and and so i if you made me take over with one i still take texas because of the team because of the talent but clearly schedule wise benefits oklahoma more i just don't i have no way of trusting brent venables after what whatever the hell that was Last year, that was the worst year of Oklahoma football in 20-something, 30-something years. Like, I mean, it was bad, bad for them. So that's not nothing to me. I can't just act like that never happened and just think they returned to a top 10, 15 team this year. That's not... It's not how I'm choosing to operate. What else to you guys stands out around the top of the league? Do you like? What do you think of something like TCU Kansas State? That was the that was the Big Twelve Championship game matchup. It was an epic game. Kansas State won it, but TCU still in the playoff. They're at eight and a half and seven and a half respectively.
2: Yeah, that's what I wanted to look at. I think TCU definitely takes a step back this year, but let's talk about Kansas State a little bit. They return eight offensive starters of the uh, of the 30 major contributors that they had last year. They returned 23 of them. They have their starting quarterback back on the team. I, I don't know if Kansas State's going to win more than eight and a half games this year, but they won 10 last year. They won the Big 12 last year, and, you know, they do have to go to Texas, but that's by far their hardest team game. Uh, they have at Oklahoma State, at Texas Tech. I don't know how good Texas Tech's going to be, um, but, I, like, They could very well – it would not shock me if they got to that Texas game on November 4th undefeated. I I think it would – I think it's very possible. Now, you do have to play at Missouri. I think they have that one. You have to host UCF and their uh, their first foray into the Big 12, and I I don't know how that game's going to go. But Kansas State, I think, is a team that could be pretty good this year. Uh, And if they get get hot at the beginning of the season, build that momentum, obviously, then – I think they if they can go to Texas and win that game, I think we're talking about a really good Kansas State team this year.
3: The the two that I was I was going to bring up one of you, you brought up one of them Ryan that that I would be very interested in their over unders not not saying I would take these but I'd be very interested TCU at that seven and a half because you look at their their roster from last year three returning offensive starters three. One of them is a wide receiver and two on the offensive line. Everybody else is going to be a new starter there on offense. Um, Sonny Dykes won the National Coach of the Year last year. I think he's going to have to coach like, like it this year for them to have a, have a, even remotely the, the same level of success that they had this year. I mean, you look at their schedule, it's, it's not a, the, the hardest thing in the non-conference. You've got Colorado, Nichols State, and SMU. Uh, but you do. You're on the road at Kansas State. You're on the road at Texas Tech. You're on the road at Oklahoma. You get Texas and Baylor at home. But you know you're. Uh, you know if you're looking at those games, you're probably going to have just as many Texas fans in the st- in your own stadium because of just the the sheer amount of Texas fans there are. Uh, and then Baylor, you know, you'll probably outnumber them in your home stadium. But that that would be something that I would be interested in the under at, at seven and a half, just because I don't know. I, I Sonny Dykes is going to have to do a, a bang-up alf- offensive coaching job this year with only three returning starters. The other one that I'd be interested in is Kansas – but I'd be interested in the over for this one. Six and a half is their their uh, line right now. They're returning ten starters. They're on the opposite end of that. They got ten people coming back. One guy on the offensive line left, and now they got uh, he's back. You look at their schedule, and it's not that difficult. You got Missouri State in the non conference. You're at ne- you're at Nevada, but Nevada is a bottom half Mountain West team uh, since oh, what's his is name? He left for Colorado State. Um, I'll remember it later. But there, since he left Nevada, they've, they've slipped back down to the bottom half of that conference. Um, you do have road games at Texas, at Oklahoma State, uh, and, and those could be problematic there. But, you know, in, in Illinois, you got Illinois at home in the non-conference. But if you have a, a fairly decent offense— Illinois is not going to score that many points. You've, you've seen Brett Bielma's offense. We all saw it in the Southeastern Conference a couple of years ago. We're all maybe about to see it again with Dan Enos back at Arkansas. Um, but it's it, it's not the most high, potent, powerful offense. If, if you can get an offense that can score, they're going to have a hard time keeping up. And so – I, I would be interested in that over 6.5 on Kansas uh, just because of the, the way they scored last year in the first half of that season. Uh, you you look at there, they started 56, 55, 48, 35, and then you hit that 14-11 to 11 score with Iowa State. But still, after that, you still put up 31, 42, uh, 23, 4, 37, 28, 14, 27. You, you still put up plus 25 points in a lot of these games uh, against conference opponents Um I'd be very interested in the the over on that one because I I can see some winnable games on the schedule.
1: So to give you some of the prices on these teams, so back with Texas and Oklahoma, Texas was a minus 125 to go over, plus 105 uh, to go under. So you get some value if you go under. But again, I I like them as a team more than Oklahoma. Oklahoma is basically a pick them. It's minus 105 to go over, minus 115 to go under. So really either way, uh, it's not – not for 2 just to go either way. Uh, for these teams, TCU minus 140 to be above. You actually get something if you go go uh, under plus 115. I might actually take the under there just for that price because I think that with TCU replacing so much, Sonny, Sonny Dykes is not a known commodity just yet. As Chuck Oliver said to us last week when he joined the program at SEC Media Days, that was a great team, but it's not a great program. It's a fine program. It's a good program, but Still life in the Big Twelve with Gary Patterson, it was not consistent for them. I mean, you go back and look at the years prior to Sonny Dykes, five and seven, six and four, five and seven, seven and six. It was not like they were racking up the nine and ten win seasons. And with Sonny Dykes, I just again, that was one incredible year. But when you win a lot of close games and you have a magical season, usually it becomes the the reverse the next year. And so I'm kind of suspicious on TCU maybe returning to about a 6-16 and this year. I actually like that for the, uh, for the plus 115 odds to take the under there. Kansas State's an interesting team. I just think Chris is a solid coach. Plus 100 for the over, minus 120 for the under. So you actually get a little bit of money if you go above a little better than, than taking the over than the under. And I, I think they can get nine and three again with, with K State. Again, I think that's a one of the more physical teams. We'll see the Big Twelve Grand. They are replacing a lot of their defense, but they only allowed twenty-one points a game last year. It's not horrible. Not at all. But yet their offense, which is the unit that is back, I mean thirty-two and a half points off of twenty-seven and a half. That was five points uh, improvement last year, with their quarterback Will Howard returning. Uh, and that was again a ten and four team last year. They did lose their uh, bowl game win the conference championship, so they were right at nine wins again. Over under eight and a half, they were at nine wins in the regular year last year. So I think Kansas State's got another good shot at nine and three. Also, I'm not too daunted by anything. They're non conference, they're going to clock Southeast Missouri, they're going to beat Troy, uh, and then at Missouri, that's one that Eli Drinkwitz will need. That's something
3: say, you you look at that last year they put up forty on Missouri last year.
1: Well, sure, that that is something that Drinkwitz will want to compete in. But yeah, K State had no problem with Missouri. Last year, beating them forty to twelve, so I feel pretty good about K State's non-conference. Uh, you know, they get to uh, avoid Oklahoma. I don't know if it's a get to or not, but they don't play Oklahoma. It's just Texas on that side of things. Baylor, sure. Texas Tech, sure. Um, but I, you know, I think again, there's there's nothing about this Big Twelve that's just big, bad, and scary. You know, I mean, even Texas and Oklahoma, who have been obviously. Texas has been up and down. Well, well, storied Oklahoma had been consistently good for a long time, but is just coming off a bad year. You know, those two, even on the way out, they're not necessarily huge giants this season. And taking them away, there's nobody else that's made consistent. Hey, Baylor had a nice year with Aranda a couple of years ago. They weren't great last year Oklahoma State with Gundy is usually a solid program but they're kind of rebuilding They had a really bad defensive year with Derek Mason last year caused problems and and so they're they're trying to rebuild you know again that's just there's just not a lot going in positive directions towards those top half teams so we will hit on more of these when we come back we'll go ahead and take our first time out of our number three stay tuned we'll take a couple more we'll talk about the newbies too uh to the big 12 some of their over-unders you're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger. 95.9.
0: our conversation tweet us your thoughts on twitter at sports call AU. we're done paying the bills now back to sports call on tiger 95.9
1: welcome back to SportsCon gone Tiger 95.9 Ryan Lavoy Brooks Sprint Daughtry with you here on this Thursday starting to get to the waning moments of this Thursday edition of the show can I tell you something uh yes you can
3: yesterday always. was the most Tuesday feeling Wednesday that I've ever experienced and today is the most Friday feeling Thursday that I've ever experienced
2: I Which, thought see I thought yesterday was Thursday I feel I, I feel like this week's been crawling
3: I I fully thought for several times yesterday it
0: was Tuesday
1: well i mean i'm glad i mean it is this is functioning as your friday um from oh, a yeah. work standpoint so that i definitely see that
2: Suckers. you're getting out of here
1: yeah i mean uh good for brooks <laughs> <laughs> good <laughs> uh, for him. i will be right here tomorrow but uh yeah no i think that um i think it's moved pretty normal pace for me this week i don't know i last week with meaty days and then uh, moving this past weekend. Actually, I'm just kind of welcoming welcoming the normalcy of a normal work week, honestly. So this kind of feels like normal pace for me. But, again, that's not a hot take, so we move on. Okay. Anyway, uh, so rest of Big 12 win totals for 2023. Just went through kind of the top of the league. Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas State, TCU. A lot of teams between 7.5 and 5.5. And and again, nine teams, either seven and a half, six and a half, or 5.5 talking about a couple of the new teams starting with UCF at six and a half man it's hard to know how these how new teams are gonna jump into this league UCF last year under Gus Malzahn was able to go to the AAC championship game they did get thumped um, by Tulane who then again uh, Tulane did end up being Southern Cal so not uh, the worst thing that's ever happened but a nine and five year after losing to Duke in a bowl game so they went Nine wins in the regular year and uh, then lost the, the two in the postseason. They're over under a six and a half. They have one interesting non con game at Boise State. That's a if UCF had been in the group of five, still that would have been a fascinating group of five battle. Uh, UCF now gets to have the nod, even if if they lose, we're still in a better conference than you. Uh, but uh, still that that one's mildly interesting. They'll be fine with Kent State and Villanova. Uh, For their part in their first voyage here, they do have uh, a couple of the lowly teams in the conference. They've got West Virginia. That is UCF's homecoming, if you care. Uh, They do have uh, Houston and Cincinnati, who they're joining in the league. They do not play BYU this year. They do not play Texas. They do go to Oklahoma. So UCF will be in a conference with Texas, yet never will play them in the conference, which is a fun (laughs) dynamic there. Uh, So... Again, six-and-a-half for UCF, eight returning starters offensively, seven defensively. I watched them a ton last year, uh, and I think no one's going to be shocked by this observation. My question for them is will they hold up at the lines of scrimmage? I mean, that's that's just going to be the issue. Can their offensive line – do enough. I really like their skill position players. John Rhys Plumley is not an expert thrower, but he was better last year than he was at Ole Miss. He is one of the fastest quarterbacks in the country. He's right there with Robbie Ashford. He is electric as a runner. Uh, they have two solid wide receivers. Kobe Hudson's their number two, but their number one is Javon Baker, who transferred to Alabama, had 800 yards receiving last year, five TDs. And then uh, even as running, uh, R.J. Harvey as a freshman last year, 800 rush yards, eight TDs, nearly seven yards a carry. He'll be their number one back this year, replacing Isaiah Bowser. So I really like their skill positions. I, I think their quarterback's fine. You know, I like Gus. Um, I just don't know how they're going to be physicality-wise. What do you guys think of the
2: 6.5? You know, I, it's like you said. They're coming into a new league, and you have no idea how they're going to hold up. I, I don't think at any position. You know, I you, you touched on the line of scrimmage, but – I mean, playing quarterback is so much harder when you're going up against these guys. I I think the athletes at the Power 5 level are still greater than they are at the Group of 5 level, and while UCF has been a really great Group of 5 team, does that equate to being competitive at the Power 5 level? I think certainly the gap is smaller than it used to be, but that's still a question that they have to answer. I have no idea how good UCF's going to be. I hope they're really good. I've I've talked about it before. I'm still a fan of Gus Malzahn. Uh, I, I like a lot of what he does, and... I want him to be successful because I just like the guy, but I don't really know. Honestly, it's it's going to be very telling. Hold on, let let me, Brooks. You have it open. Let me see your, let me see their schedule here in this here magazine. That Boise State game is going to be telling, and then you've got at Kansas State. That's really going to be their biggest. Thank you, Brooks. That's going to be their biggest tell. If they if they're competitive at Kansas State, I like the over. Uh, if they just go into Manhattan and get thumped, then I, I don't really like the outlook for their season.
3: Yeah, I was, I was looking through their schedule. I can see right now, I, I could see at least uh, straight up five wins. I could see five wins that are like, all right, they're going to win that one. There's a couple others, and I'm like, if they can figure it out quick in this conference— they can get to that over of uh, that six and a half if they can beat Boise State. I think that that's a question mark game because you're you are going on the road to Boise State um, last year. Did they play them last year? Or was that two, two years ago? You won that game thirty six thirty one two years ago down in down in Florida. Um, the other games that I'm looking at is if you can catch uh, if you can catch Texas Tech at the right time. If you can catch Kansas. If you can catch Oklahoma. Those are a couple games that I'm like you. If you can catch them, I think you can win. Kansas State, Baylor, and Oklahoma State, I think, are the the three uh, games on their schedule right now that I say you know it, it's gonna. You're gonna have to play a, a really good football to beat those three teams right now. Um, Oklahoma, if they can figure it figured out. That may they may they move up into the one of those. Um, but it, it's I, I like the six and a half. Um, I would if I if I was taking it I would I would lightly tap the under and by tap the under I mean un, like the the half I would go with 6 right right just right now I would I would tap that 6 6 mark
1: I think you get pretty good value for that too minus 145 for the over again this was as two weeks ago I'm mean, a bet MGM so if things have changed a little bit we do apologize but had to have a stopping point for everybody and then plus 120 for the under again i think it's a really good uh, because i think it's a i i would lean seven and five uh for them but maybe at that number maybe i like six six and six more uh but it's right around that number when we look at the other three schools byu cincinnati houston byu being at only five and a half is a little surprising i respect that program a little bit more kalani sataki's been there a long time they've had Good stability with them. He's had no big issues at BYU. Pretty good record overall. Um, so I, I, I and enough returning starters. I don't think it's a million, but eight on offense, seven on defense is a pretty good generic number. Against Ataki at BYU is fifty-six and thirty-four. He's done a fair job. Uh, at least ten wins. Two of the last three years. Eight and five last year was eh. You know. So I look. I think that six wins is in play for them. Uh, They do have one tough non-conference game, though, at Arkansas. Uh, They played Arkansas last year at home and lost by 17. Arkansas handled them pretty good, kept scoring at will. BYU's defense defense was not very good last year. So that that worries me in the over-under, too. But I think BYU is going to be better than Cincinnati-Houston. Here's why they're going to be better than Cincinnati. Man, it's going to be rough this year. They lost Luke Fickle to Wisconsin. They bring in Scott Satterfield, who – Honestly, just wasn't impressive at Louisville. I mean, he was not far away from getting fired, in my opinion. He was very stale at Louisville. Uh, So I was not in love with him as a Cardinal. And then, by the way, only three returning offensive starters, six on defense. I think they did okay in the portal. But, for again, with the same problems that, say, UCF and Houston have, to not have the stability of the same head coach, to not have stability in the roster – I, I feel lesser about Cincinnati. They, like these other teams, have one non conference game that is losable. They are at Pittsburgh week two. If they can beat Pittsburgh, then I'll start to feel better about it. But at five and a half, I'm almost tempted to go under and say five and seven or that sort of thing. And then with Houston, uh, the last couple of years has been I, honestly underwhelming with Dana Holgerson. I thought there was bigger potential there than what's happened. They went 12 and two two years ago. I thought they had really figured it out obviously beat Auburn in a close one in the Birmingham Bowl, but then last year were just okay. I mean, they went 8-5, and five, uh, even with a, a bowl victory, I believe. So they really were not as good as I was wanting them to be. Not a, a ton of experience back. You look at their non-conference, although they, although they did handle UTSA last year, it was triple overtime, and UTSA returned a lot of players again this year. So that's not a given. Houston and then they also play TCU that's obviously definitely not a given it is in Houston though uh, or or I should say at Houston Uh, yeah in Houston at Houston TCU still in Fort Worth Dallas we're all good we understood that yes Uh, but so they have some stuff in their non-conference I don't feel good about they are one of the two teams along with West Virginia to be at four and a half they do play West Virginia at home about midway through the season again of those three I know I just gave you a pretty deep overview of all those three but BYU Cincinnati Houston uh BYU and Cincinnati both at five and a half and again Houston at four and a half
3: yeah I think the uh, the big thing for BYU is you look at their schedule and you like you said the the non-con you've got that game at Arkansas uh that you you lost uh what would you say 17 last year to Arkansas at home yeah 52 now, 50, you, gotta, now yeah. you gotta go play them on the road at at the Hogs house uh nothing else in the non-conference you know worries you Sam Houston and Southern Utah but you're going to Kansas you're going to TCU. You host Texas Tech. You're at Texas. You host Oklahoma, and you're at Oklahoma State. I think the fact that you've got Texas, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State all on your first year schedule in the in the Big Twelve really plays a factor into that uh, that five and a half number right there. Um, I would be tempted to to sniff that under two if I if I was a, a betting man. And of course, I'm not because we're in the state of Alabama. Uh, for all <laughs> all interested parties listening, uh, but uh, yeah, I would be, I would be tempted to sniff that under for them. Uh, and then Cincinnati, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm right there too. I, I think that five and a half is an interesting number because of all that they lost, uh, it, you know, th- they're like TC only three returning starters, but I, I feel like the, the three returning starters for Cincinnati are not on the same level as the three returning starters for, uh, for TCU. And, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting dynamic here with teams coming into the conference, um, with you know, they're, they're mixed reviews on how how they're going to end up. And I, I'm with you, Scott Satterfield. He was fine at App State and got them to uh you know he, he was uh he got to that Louisville job, and then was just fine there. There was there was no you know games there where you're like, wow, he's going to be the next guy to run this conference after Dabo Sweeney's gone. No, he was he was just okay there, and and then he let leaves and go to goes to Cincinnati. Um and, and yeah, I think that you know you you had a a good run there if, if you're the Bearcats, but I think it's going to take a year or two for you to try to get your footing here in the conference.
2: Yeah, the the one of those, the two of those that are most interesting to me is Cincinnati and Houston. Cincinnati, I feel like for the past couple of years has just been a really consistent program. Obviously, they had that one playoff appearance where you know they looked pretty good, but it, it, for most of that season. But other than that, they've just been kind of hovering around eight or nine wins and. I feel like they're the time time of program kind of program that's just going to do that kind of consistently. Uh, and I know I know first year head coach, but it, Scott Satterfield, like y'all touched on, kind of feels like that kind of head coach. He's gonna hover around seven, eight, nine wins. He's gonna have a couple of good years. And yeah, you know, I, I feel like Cincinnati and Scott Satterfield that that marriage just kind of makes sense. Uh, you you look at Houston, they went eight and five last year. Four and a half still feels too low to me. I know, and they're another one making a jump. I get that, but they're returning their quarterback. Their schedule just doesn't look too intimidating to me. Uh, I-, I could see Houston over at four and a half. Per- at four and a half, I- four and a half percent. I could see them over at four and a half. I, I, I kind of like their chances at that. Now, like I said earlier, I don't know a whole lot about the Big Twelve. I certainly don't know much about the teams that are new to it. So take this with a grain of salt. But I feel like you could go over for both Cincinnati and Houston.
1: Yeah, I mean, with Cincinnati, though, I I just, again, I'm worried about uh, post-Luke Fickle. Again, we've also got to remember this is still transitioning into a power conference. If that concern exists for UCF, it certainly uh, is still there for Cincinnati and Houston. At least for UCF, again, they were in the conference title game. They beat Cincinnati last year. Uh, They do have a coach that's been in the Power Five. Uh, or been in the Power 5, but also been with UCF for several years, whereas Satterfield has been the Power 5, but new to Cincinnati. They lost a lot of returning players. And, again, Luke Fickle, remind you what he did at Cincinnati. His first year had to build the program, went 4-8, and but then 11-2, and 11-3, 9-1, 13-1, 9-3. It was 57-18 in Cincinnati. It is no small thing in my opinion, that he is not there to lead them through this transition period. If he was there, I think this is a seven- or eight-win team. I think they're going to be completely fine in year one in the Big 12, but I'm worried about them. I'll actually take the under at five and seven this year. I do think Houston will go a little better than four and a half. I think they'll go five and seven or six and six. And then BYU, too. I think BYU will go about six and six or seven and five. So I do like – I like two overs with BYU and Houston for the newbies. I like one under in Cincinnati, and I like UCF to – if it's possible, win six and a half games, they're going to be right there. Uh, I, I'll take the under for the the value you get in the bet. But uh, again, that's going to be that's a good line for them around six or seven wins. More of the story is I don't think any of these teams are getting above seven. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to be a complete no show and go like two and ten, three and nine. Uh, but I think everyone's between like four and seven wins of these four new teams. We're gonna take our final timeout of the show. When we come back, we'll wrap it up with a nightly TV guide. We were just doing 2023 Big 12 win totals. Again, wrapping up the show right after this. <laughs>
0: Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go.
1: I'm Jeff Woodaker Jr., former Auburn Tigers defensive tackle and national champion,
0: and you are listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
1: Sports call, final couple minutes today. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Brent Dantry, Brooks Childress with you here. Fun show today. We've had uh, just a lot of college football talk. We did have a quick baseball trade discussion with Shohei Otani. We should probably mention, you know, we were talking about all the, the theoreticals around trying to go for it and that sort of thing, trades. Should also mention that he did throw a one-hit shutout in the first game of doubleheader and then hit two home runs in the second game of doubleheader. That is the reason we spend so much time talking about where one man is going to play baseball or potentially get traded is because uh, he is an all-star as both a hitter and a pitcher, something we've not seen in 100 years in the sport. So that was pretty impressive stuff. All right, just a couple minutes left in the show. Time for Nightly TV Guide to conclude
0: it. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. Sports
1: Call's nightly TV guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Brooks, what do we got?
3: Well, we've got a plethora of sports on tonight, so I'm going to give you two movie picks to start things off at 7 o'clock on FX. It is your Marvel picks for the evening. Captain America, the first Avenger, uh, is is tonight. And then follow that up at 7.45 on HBO2. It's Pulp Fiction. and
1: Classic, classic Tarantino.
3: Actually... Let me, let me add oh a redaction. No. I was reading Tomorrow's Night the No! TV guy. Sorry. Redaction. Sports are still on tonight. Your only movie pick for tonight, 6 o'clock on FX, is Iron Man 3. Still a movie, uh, your Marvel fix for the evening. Robert Downey Jr. stars as Iron Man. Uh, so there's your movie pick for the evening. I apologize to the masses out there. Sports <laughs> fix for you tonight, 6 o'clock on ESPN. The PPA Tour Pickleball is back on national Ooh. TV. Carvana PPA Pickleball Tour uh, from Seattle. It's it's as I heard it described recently as the sport that dares to ask: Is that pickleball or are people building birdhouses over there?
1: Uh. Ah, okay, yep.
3: get it. Uh, then uh, that's the only pickleball on tonight. Six thirty on ESPN. You, it's athletes unlimited women's lacrosse. Some action for you there. Women's World Cup action tonight. Seven o'clock on FS1. Argentina takes on South. Uh, South Africa 7 o'clock on ESPN 2 Slam Ball is back from Las Vegas check out some Slam Ball Uh, then 8 o'clock on ESPN it's a superstar racing experience from the Motor Mile uh, Speedway ryan newman won last week's race i and
1: missed it because we were driving back but we, good for you for remembering or for we, knowing
3: yeah and then so we're going into uh week three of this and then two uh soccer matches tonight late night nine o'clock on fs1 it's Legus cup action club america takes on st louis FC, and then at 9 30 on espn it's Borussia dortman taking on san diego loyal in a club friendly match and that is your nightly tv guy brought to our friends at white call hard seltzer
1: Thank you very much for that, Brooks, and I hope you have a great weekend, sir, back at home, and uh, we'll see you refreshed next week.
3: Obviously, with that Nightly TV Guide rendition there, I need some refresh time.
1: <laughs> well, I'll, I at least I already know half of it, so yeah. I can already re- try to recall that from memory tomorrow. Brant, thank you for being on the show here today, and uh, again, have a great— I guess we won't see you tomorrow either, too. Uh, you'll be here, just not right. on the show, but right. you have a great weekend, too, once we get there. Thank you for having me. Uh, that will do it for the show today. Again, as always, we thank all those that tuned in and called in for Brandt Dontree and Brooks Childress. My name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Thursday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.